0: motion for the first time in like five weeks <laughs> <laughs> okay we're live hello hi uh,
1: good afternoon stroke morning depending on where you are in the world or possibly even evening Lord yeah, Beard's uh, time. Lord Beard's
0: is, it's got a pretty diverse i'll have to show you the um the little thing i have for the podcast spread as far as like where people listen mm. it's a pretty interesting little bunch but uh <laughs> yes we're here if everyone could confirm that you can hear us that would be awesome uh, but real quick, there's something I have to start the stream off with, which is, uh, Andy, uh, your your bonus stream this morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so for those of you who don't know and who don't follow me on Twitch, and if you're one of those people, I do have a gun I'd like you to meet. No, that's a little bit too strong. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't follow me on Twitch, you may not have realized that I went live this morning, and there was a reason I went live. I didn't press the button my cats had broken into my living room where we do all of our streaming. Um, and I was chasing them, the little buggers, because they're not allowed in there because one of the people that I stream with on Lawhammer is extremely allergic to cats. So I went belting in there in my dressing room, going, Oi, what are you doing? Get out here. <laughs> cats went, oh, fuck, spotted, scatter. And they went <laughs> off in different directions. One of them jumped up onto the production laptop and touched the little touchpad. I started a freaking stream not that I noticed this bundled the cats out under my arms they were deeply unimpressed they did however get their breakfast which is pretty much the only reason they broke into the room in the first place to get my attention and uh, it wasn't until about almost an hour later I got a quick ping from the good old lore master (laughs) of Sotec over there you know that you're streaming live don't you to which I was like what the what (laughs) no I am not i am what what now went into the room and there it was streaming live freaking bloody little cats it was so, an awesome
0: awesome that. bonus hour stream of just andy being
1: man <laughs> <laughs> good times so um have we all gathered all are nerds. we good to go we know we're a whole hour earlier than normal this week so uh, our numbers are probably gonna be a little bit lower to begin with so if you are coming It'll to the fine. stream watching it much later uh, over on so Techs YouTube channels, then we're sorry we started earlier, but there is a reason. I'm going to the Lawhammer party right after this stream. They're already out there at karaoke, singing their little hearts away, doing crazy stuff that, frankly, I'm kind of glad that I'm not doing. Um, And, uh, I mean, karaoke? Oh, ho, ho, ho. if I'm not doing it live on stream, why bother doing it at all? So, hmm. uh yeah, I'm I'm happily avoiding that by doing the Lord beard stream, but we have had to shift it forward one hour to make sure that I've got enough time to get out there and get to the big, huge meal that we're all planning for afterwards. So, um, should we begin? Yeah, if you want to take us away,
0: I am super excited for right. the the topic that we totally did not rig. <laughs> we Look, absolutely we did not rig this topic.
1: <laughs> right, before I dive into this one, um, I love this topic deeply. Uh, the whole Lady of the Lake thing became a thing as time went on, as you're gonna find as we go into the deep dive lore chat about it. But for me, the first exposure for the lady of the lake um came really much, much earlier. So I'm going to take you back in time, all the way to, before I do go though, let's just bring up Laughing God. Andy's singing Body Warhammer bar song stream, please. Um, Well, just before I go on to that one, I'm actually I'm prepping up at the moment, a bunch of sing-songy streams for one of the role-play expansions that we've got, which is called Mother Whore Frost. You can buy it over on DriveThruRPG because we're doing some songs for that and some songs for another thing that we're doing. So you will hear me singing soon. Nobody Ooh, wants to have that. I mean, do you really? My, my daughter is a professional singer. She's like got diplomas and shit. Well, and she's she going to be doing, doing, the, somewhere. She's doing the proper stuff where there's going to be some good old drunken singing going on in the background as well. Hey, Sean, thanks very much. Whatever thy name is, your name will always be thy lady. Um, so when did I first encounter the lady? It was all the way back in 1995, which is oh, quite man. a long time ago. Um, So imagine if you can, a younger Andy, not the almost gray bearded version that you see before you today, but zero bearded version. He was a kid. He was excitedly working for Games Workshop at the time. An assistant um, manager, senior, fuck knows what my title was at that time. Didn't really (laughs) matter what it was at the time. I was working for Games Workshop and Warhammer was um, into its fifth edition of the game. At this point, bretonia is not the bretonia that you know and love today. Brittonia is very much that realm that lies over there that we've yet to detail very much in Modern Warhammer. And mm. the last time we detailed with any great amount of background was all the way back in third edition. So we're talking now into the mid and later 80s. And that version of bretonia was really different. We had a version of bretonia that was based on, largely, pre-revolutionary France. So we're talking more musketeers than we are knights of the realm and uh, wigs and powdered faces and indolent, terrible nobles. And that was the Brittany that most people expected was going to come when eventually the army list was tackled. But this was not to be. <laughs> there was a reason they expected this. When Manowar came out, so we're now talking as we move into the early 90s, um, it had presented the Bretonian Navy, and the Bretonian Navy fucking rocked. It mm. was astonishingly good. The Bretonian Navy was long, great ships with banks and banks of cannons, huge broadsides, and super fast vessels that sprinted across the water, only outwitted in terms of speed by the high elves. And it's fair to say that they supported the concept that Bretonia was much more of the musketeer-y, y sort of side of things than the knights of the realm that were to come. And I remember sitting down in the shop one day, and my area manager arrived. Um, I can't remember his name. I'm going to call him Jim Butler, because I think it might have been, but it's not <laughs> so long ago. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could have been Jim well, anything. Hopefully not he's Butler. not
0: watching and being like,
1: how dare he. he? His name's Jim. <laughs> I wonder his name's Jim. It's not Butler. It's something else. Doesn't matter. His name's Jim. He was Liverpudlian. And he came in and he was full of extraordinary excitement because he'd seen the new Bretonian army I mean, when he was down in the studio. And he was coming up to spread the goodwill because he literally couldn't help himself because he thought it was so awesome. Now, it's fair to say that his early reading of what Bretonnia was to become was slightly off, but it was close enough that the key points were put forward. And to say Brittonia was about to undergo a change is a massive massive underestimation of just how big a release, the fifth edition of the Praetorian army list was going to be. And it was going to be a book that would piss off an enormous chunk of the established audience. Now, before I get onto that little bit, let's go. Hey, cheers. Yay. Thanks very much. Bye, foot. Always nice to have you there. I hear the lady loves fedora. Oh dear, fedoras. And the art (laughs) of the blade. Also, hello, YouTube chat indeed. Hello, YouTube chat. I hope the birds sing your praises and the sun greets you as an old friend. I do love the lovely Twitch uh, comments that we get coming in. um, As YouTube inevitably follows up with a quick, fuck you, Twitch. (laughs) Inevitably,
0: yes. Uh, So
1: here I am about to receive some wisdom concerning the Bretonians. And he said the Bretonians are basically a bunch of drunk lords. As we will become to learn, that's not the case. But this is how he pitched it to me. An enormous army of drunk knights. That's all they are. And every last one of them is pretty much a lord. Just
0: drunk knights.
1: (laughs) Drunk knight lords. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Uh, That sounds great. And they've got their own special formation, which means that the only ones that really matter are your characters in this formation. Um, And uh, the big thing you should know is that, um, yeah, they rock and they kick ass. It wasn't the best intro to what was going to become the Batonian army list. (laughs) I sat down, I asked some questions, and slowly but surely, through some asking some questions, he confirmed a couple of things that were significant. First was in Warhammer, you may not know this, but back in the third and the fifth, fourth, and back in the fourth and the fifth edition, um, half of your army was allowed to be characters. So if you were playing 2,000 points, 1,000 points could be characters. That's That's a lot. Pretty. Uh, that's quite a lot. Now, it might sound a lot, but Warhammer characters are often very expensive, meaning that if you were playing 2,000 point army, your 1,000 points may only go to, say, one wizard at about 350, one lord at about 200, stack those up with some magic items, drop a couple of champions in, and you're done. There ain't no more coming in. Bretonians changed this for the first time. And they allowed you to have seventy-five percent of your army as characters. Now, <laughs> that edition of Warhammer was known as uh, known later as Herohammer for a reason. But for those of us who were deep into Warhammer at the time, which I was, seventy-five percent was astonishing. Now, a quarter of the army, two hundred fifty, twenty-five uh, percent for me, had to be regiments. But that basically meant that you could have your minimum regiments and then just stack it up with characters. It seemed that Jim's version of the Praetorian army wasn't so wrong, in that it was just a bunch of lords. And I was like, all right. I, I see where you got that idea from now. 75% of the army, holy crap sticks. But that wasn't, just drop in, see before in, I hope you are even <laughs> in your eyes, Twitch. Do you yeah. love the
0: old... It, it's t- funny... <laughs> It's funny you bring up the whole character points thing because like, I love that GW would go on to banish that until the end times. They brought that back yeah. for the end times, the whole 75% of your <laughs> list could be characters thing.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so he was sort of right on that one. And then the other big one was the formation that the knights could take. Now, you might think that this has nothing to do with the lady. You're about to be proved wrong. There was a special formation that the knights could take called the Lance Formation and they peasants had something similar for their archers. Um, And basically it was a wedge, where they could wedge themselves rather than go in square blocks. Now you might not realise if you don't play Warhammer, how massive that was. And it was massive because if you stack up all your knights in a wedge, their base size shrinks by half on the front. Because it's tucked in half behind the one that's sitting in front. Meaning you can bring twice as many characters to bear as any other unit. Well, Mm holy shitballs thought I when I actually thought of that in practice so 75% of it's characters <laughs> and they've got half the brace size of everyone else and they're mounted okay but at least they're in full armor at least they're, and they went well you might think they're in full armor but Bretonian horses Bretonian horses are better than normal horses and they move at full rate regardless woohoo! <laughs> <God>! <laughs> um so we have ourselves a fully mobile character delivery device to any unit on the battlefield. Holy craps, this this is not looking so good. I should just bring in Hammond there. Hey, Hammond. Yeah, Ladriel. Wait, no. Lilith. Wait, like, God damn it. I
0: mean, Core. <laughs> Bella Core.
1: Bella Core? Oh, yeah. the lady. Yeah. <clears throat> So we've got ourselves something that sounds particularly nasty. At this point, I started doing what I always do, and that's pulling apart the rules. And I said, "Well, if it's 75% characters, 25% regiments, what about the war machines and similar?" Oh, there are none. And for the fifth um, edition of the army list, there were none. Um, what about extra monsters and extra? Pretty much, other if your character's not riding it, nope. Okay, so it's pretty much just going to be characters and regiments. Nasty. Wait a minute. They've got no big heavy, I'll just shoot them with cannons. And if the characters are loaded so heavy on the front, I'll be able to shoot down that line and completely destroy them. And that's where Jim looked at me and said, well, you'd think that, wouldn't you?
0: But the lady!
1: (laughs) But the lady. And this was my first encounter with the lady. And at this point, it's fair to say that his understanding of what the lady was, was really poor. Basically, he said, you know, King Arthur and shit. Well, hey, you know, the Lady of the Lake, they pray to the Lady of the Lake and that just makes all the cannons bounce off them. Not strictly how the rule worked once we actually saw it in practice, but the core of it was true. Before the battle, all of the knights, particularly the Grail knights, the devout knights would all get down and pray and mists would rise up all around them. And this would confound The opposing armies, whatever it may be, whether it's stone chuckers or cannons, whether it's massive handguns, whether it's huge hell cannon nonsense or whatever it may be. Not only would the mist make it difficult to target, so on a fundamentally material level, it would be difficult to shoot at them. But more importantly, when shots went into that mist, they often just disappeared because the lady protected her honorable knights from dishonorable shots coming from afar. And this was my first encounter with the lady and everything that she was going to later represent. And here's where I now get to admit something that I don't often admit when it comes to Warhammer. I thought it was shit. Oh. <laughs> okay, now. I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. Um, is
0: this. What? <laughs> is this the same <laughs> man who just shits on Gel? Constantly? Yep.
1: <laughs> yep. yep. Just, I thought it was shit. Say that. Okay, um, I don't need to say, I mean, I don't normally say this with Warhammer, but on my first encounter with it, my first thought was oh, okay, fine. you have you have taken away um a deep and vibrant potential setting of what appears to be a renaissance level Britannia and replaced it with effectively English knights who all worship the Lady of the Lake, and yes, that's sort of tied to the old Bretonian romances. Hey, guard,
0: yes, let yes, indeed. <laughs> Bretonian lances do not break; they need to use them quite a bit.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and and you've replaced it with medieval knights. This makes no sense. How could this possibly make any sense at all? That's an interesting take. There Unlimited panda. The lady is corn. <laughs> No <laughs> no, that in
0: murder in combat only <laughs> uh since kruber from vermentine gets shot by beastman arrows is the lore aspect basically de- we'll we'll get into the the, the lady kind of i mean Julie breton got taken down by a throne weapon her yeah <laughs> her philosophy I mean, it's is so old. perfect it, um, it, it, it's, it, it it's has more
1: <laughs> yeah it totally does um uh, but i will make some arguments for why that is potentially the case later as well because there's quite a lot going on with the lady that isn't immediately obvious and i think that between us we have all manner of fun little this is a, i'm really glad y'all pick,
0: y'all pick this subject of the three options like
1: oh yeah we, we, we love this
0: we kind of had a plan regardless but i think y'all pick the best of the three for how we're going to get down <laughs> into where we're going
1: yeah totally uh 100 agreed um, so I've lost track. Where was I? So there was the lady, there was you my phone. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah, it sucked, <laughs> and I thought it sucked because we were left with a medieval kingdom that had somehow been held back from its technological advances. Um, for reasons that made no actual sense when you read the army list on its face value. Um, we had ourselves something that was held in time. Now, later, I would actually not just come to appreciate this. I would think it was a really good piece of, not initial writing, the initial writing was fine, but as it developed, it became a really good piece of writing. Um, for this weird you. fairy tale kingdom, oh, good old sixth edition. Um, sixth edition is when it g- began to nail down hard, even though it's a much smaller book. Um, the whole kingdom of Britonia being held in this weird fairy tale, Knights of the Round, Lady of the Way- Lake, weird position while the rest of the old world was significantly beyond technology, technologically wise, Um, not only came to make sense, it completely made sense. And it all made sense because of the lady and who she was. And this was something that I, at the beginning, not only didn't appreciate, I actively disliked. I didn't like that they just ported the Lady of the Lake from good old King Arthur and said, hey, that's Warhammer now when it hadn't been previously, it was such a weird edition at that point that almost everybody, when that book came out, went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what? Yeah. This is not what we expected for the fifth edition of Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, uh, uh, give us the Lizardmen, please. But please don't fuck it up as much as you fuck this up. Because it was Lizardmen versus bretonia for the fifth edition box." Mm-hmm. And we were stunned. Now, obviously, as staff, we were super pleased and we were super delighted and we loved it. Um, And the game was really good. It played really well at the table. But as a deep lover of the lore, even at that time, I was confused, but not as much as the fantasy roleplay crowd would be. The fantasy roleplay crowd had been working with their version of Bretonia since 1989. So by this point, they had a good seven years. No, longer, sorry. Uh, since when was it marked down in the very first core? So it's 1986. Okay, so that's for 10 years worth of using this version of Bretonia, which was much more uh, pre-Revolution France. Um, and to have it overwritten by a different game and a different game taking it in such a weird backward way basically turned the fantasy roleplay community against Warhammer. Now it already had its issues in the past with things like Griffin riding Cal Franz. That doesn't make sense with the stories that we already have, but the differences have been relatively minimal. Most of the differences between the two settings have been additional. So they'd added extra material on top, but this was the first time that Games Workshop completely rewrote from the ground up the entire setting. And trust me, this will happen again. It will. Oh yeah. There's going to be a release for the old world that we're going to look at and say that that bears no relation at all to what we've seen previously discussed in the lore. And at this point, it was shocking. Nowadays, we're kind of used to it. It's what Games Workshop does. But at that point, it wasn't what Games Workshop did. It's what Games Workshop was about to do. A lot. Kislev was about to get the same shakedown as it gets completely rewritten. And for many, it became a pretty much the dividing difference between Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and Warhammer. Warhammer made sense, but only if it had Fantasy Roleplay attached to it. Warhammer Fantasy Battle is just daft crap that people at the studio have thrown together because they think it'll make a good army. And it doesn't actually matter (laughs) if that's a true version of events or not. Because Games Workshop was going to go in that direction whether Fantasy Roleplay's uh, crowd liked it or not. And when eventually Knights of the Grail came out and the lady was examined with some more depth, um, it was very much from the perspective of it being all Knights of the Grail and King Arthur style quests and fairy tales and similar nonsense for the entirety of Britannia. And the fantasy roleplay crowd again went up in arms, but by this point they were sort of used to it. So it was an awful lot of online shouting while simultaneously buying the book. But that wasn't (laughs) the case back then. So um, as my intro for the lady, um, I, I would like to say that it's a far more controversial character than many people realize nowadays. Nowadays, she's just the Lady of Bretonia. We're all not just used to it. We've been used to it since the mid 90s. So it's old history for many. But for those who grew up with Warhammer, and particularly anyone over the age of around about 45, Bretonia is still, for many, a sore point. And the lady is seen as a figure of ridicule because she makes no sense. But then they changed her again. And as you'll note through the course of this stream, not only does the lady make sense, the lady is pretty fucking cool as an entire setup. It's a really cool setup that they built with Britonia. I will, however, also add that they then changed it again. Again. (laughs) And it is that last change, which I'm, I'm pretty sure we're gonna cover it at some point during the course of this stream. But oh yeah to this day still makes me roll my eyes
0: <laughs> yeah and I'm sure she's about to change again for the old oh one. yeah.
1: Uh, Almost certainly. I kind of hope she does, but I'm hoping be, she's going to change back. Yeah, hopefully they're changing it back <laughs> and going, why don't we just do the version we originally planned? Um, so yeah. um, uh, that's my intro. I think if we're going to be discussing the lady, the first place for us to go is probably um where the lady is first brought into Bretonian history with any real depth. And that's back with uh who will become to be known as Gilles Le Breton. Um, because Gilles is pretty much the starting point of lady worship in any great degree in Bretonia. but uh good old. So may have a different angle as to exactly where he thinks a good starting point is.
0: So real quick, uh, I do want to touch on the super chest came in uh, laughing God. Yes. Warhammer Musketeers does sound super metal uh, would actually make for a good band name. And also like just seeing Warhammer Musketeers, I'm sure probably running around uh, like Estalia or Talia. There are some, I, there has to yep. be. Uh, yeah, there is. I mean, have you seen that Warhammer Mimir got his body back and hates the French? I mean, Bretonia. <laughs> <laughs> I know he does look and sound like Mimir. It's true. Like not so, even as- obviously they had the same similar accent, but it's even like the timbre of the voice is very similar. <laughs> oh goodness, uh, Sean, are we going to see some lady cross <laughs> <laughs> gelt fix? Uh, yeah,
1: uh, no, I, just, um, was- I, I won't be clear here before um, we move on. I really like the lady as a goddess now really like Bretonia and how it's set up now it took me a long time to get there but I cannot stress how much I came to not just appreciate it but actively like it and think that it not only made sense for the setting it brought something to the setting that was in many respects missing so I really enjoy it
0: yep and then everyone's favorite CEO of Necromancy Kimmler who is as awful as you would expect a CEO to be but for Necromancy ah bretonia the perfect playground for the undead it unfortunately really is true,
1: <laughs> like true. People, as we'll note right yeah, from the beginning with good old gilles le breton
0: yeah people think the empire have it bad with the undead no no bretonia has it way worse yeah way worse <laughs> like yep. it's like the empire had the vampire wars that was kind of it
1: <laughs> yep and they're relatively late in the Empire's history as well, because we're talking the year 2000 onwards, so the last 500 years worth of its history, where they were actually plagued by undead. But Bretonnia, from the outset, has problems.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, let's talk about it. So, mm. uh, the Lady of the Lake, uh, the goddess of purity and heroism, and a lot of a lot of people just look at her and they're like, oh, goddess of Britonia. but she does actually have spheres of influence, which revolve around those concepts um the lady of the lake is as far as gods go she's really weird and we're gonna get into that by starting with the whole le breton adventure and the 12 battles and the 12 companions and if you're paying attention and you Battle know number
1: 10 is essential
0: yes uh if you know how warhammer gods operate as we're kind of getting our way through these, you may start to notice there's some weird shit happening with how this particular god is behaving. So to kind of set the stage, uh the Bretoni tribes, the people that made up the Bretoni, uh Bretani, were people that used to live in kind of more empire-ish areas, but they got pushed out uh sigmar showed up and sigmar ran around with his fancy old hammer and told everybody to get with him and was kind of a genocidal maniac depending on how you look at it and everyone who did not agree with him got pushed out and one of the tribes that got pushed out was uh the Bretony tribe who went across the gray mountains and into the lands that we now know as Bretonia which were very mysterious and kind of spooky there's a reason yeah, humans, humans at- weren't there
1: I'm going to add a tiny bit to that because um, that's not the case for the original setting. And it became the case later because I overwrote it um, uh, because I, I I, asked a question. And they said, oops. And I was like, well, how about I overwrite it, but make it a subjective piece, meaning that both accounts could still stand. <laughs> um, the original version as presented in fifth edition is that a thousand years before the time of Sigmar, the Bretoni tribe are already in Britannia. Um, and the land is already called Bretonia back then. So you'll find the original timeline in the fifth edition has it as that. Um, uh, this half contradicted a bunch of other sources um, discussing the arrival of the tribes of man in the old world and the roots that they took in. And it made the Bretonian people a far, far older people than the other sources suggested could be the case. I queried this and I said, What would you prefer? Would you prefer the Bretonians to be this ancient peoples that are there as old as, say, for example, the peoples of Tilia, as old as the original rival of the tribes from the various locations that they came from into the Reich Basin? And they went, ah, yeah, good point. Um, That was just a sentence that was effectively thrown into the book. And no one really thought about it. They're quite happy with it. That'll do. But upon thinking, it might be worth changing. So when I did the Tome Salvation version of history, uh, we mentioned that the Patoni tribe were pushed back by the peoples of Sigmar into that area, across through the mountains. There was a time of woe at that um, time, and they eventually settled in that area. And it also made sense for why it took a good thousand years after that, before they reached the point where their individual duchies, which were very similar to the grand provinces of the empire that Sigmar had already established, were bound together by what would become Gilles Le Breton. Um, it is worth noting, though, that that was written purely from the perspective of an empire scholar. So that's hmm. the empire perspective upon it. If you want to go with the official history, the official history, as it's laid out in the various timelines, is still, if we take the God view, that a thousand years before the time of Sigmar, Bretonian tribe was in the area. So if you're looking for as factual a basis as we can get, the Bretonians have been in the area since about a thousand years before the time of Sigmar, but they weren't properly in the area until around about the time of Sigmar, in that they were spread around more than just what would become modern day Bretonia. They were spread as a people in multiple places and were eventually driven out of the right basin because they didn't support effectively Sigmar during the Great War against the Greenskins, Um, pushed over the mountains, and that was the last that Bretonia was seen on that side. So, a slightly broader version of history there.
0: Yeah, but what's interesting is that makes a lot more sense in that it doesn't really make sense that there would not have been humans uh, in Bretonia by that time because humanity by that point had already spread over all of Talia. Estalia yep. worked its way up to Bretonia because the thing was is there, there was a very handy situation going on, which is that humanity had started to expand uh, after the whole incident with the War of Vengeance. Because the elves, uh, Hammond asked, how does Reichspil turn into Bretonian? It doesn't. Uh, yeah, they didn't. They're two they, separate they languages
1: um, that are both rooted in the same source through different language trees. Um, so, all language in the old world and indeed beyond has got the same source. Um, and they have all taken different routes when spanning out from that source. Consider it like a tree, they're on different branches on the same tree. But they yeah. both have the same Which
0: trunk. we will get into influences on that tree, uh, the stream pretty heavily. Yeah. So yeah. I wish I had a whiteboard with me, but the uh the important <laughs> thing is that the old world humanity kind of spreads out, and the the big thing is that okay, I'm gonna touch on this real quick. Uh reminder, oh, uh, we're gonna get to the end time stuff. Oh, we're-, we're gonna get to that one, Commander
1: bond We yeah.
0: are gonna get to that one. <laughs> we will we will we will get into that whole fucking mess. Thank you for the chat, but well, yeah, we'll get into that.
1: Yeah. Um, Super that, thanks for that. Yeah, we're going to be getting to that one.
0: Yeah, so the, the, the thing that's very important to understand about the uh, Bretani tribe, and especially Talae and Astalia as well, is that they, and a lot of the, like, the, the marshes and the empires, that they expanded into elven ruins. Because the High Elves, way back when they were just elves, had spread into a lot of these places. They'd set up all these wonderful cities, and then they had the big war of vengeance, and the dwarves pretty much kicked them all out. Um, yep. amongst other various threats but the dwarves were kind of the primary oops not to mention that Malekith then invades One, so they call everybody back and those elves that remained were pretty much forced because everyone else abandoned them to go run off into Athaloran or into Laralorn or maybe one or two other little places depending on which sources you look at but they were
1: mostly hidden because the dwarves would kill anyone that wasn't hidden. Um, and it's also worth adding one extra note, um, particularly on this one, because we often look at the Warhammer maps and we think of them as immutable things. They are not. It has been 2,500 years since the time of Sigmar, obviously. And 2,500 years ago, bretonia was almost certainly covered in forests, end to end. The heart of Athel Loren and the importance of that forest was going to be separated, but it would have been a far larger forest in general. Um, so do consider the pre-deforestation map uh, to be different to what we'd eventually come. So when we think of the bretonian spreading into here, they'd have been going so along the coast and the edges of the rivers, it would be a very different form of that they were moving into then than the one that we know now, because Bretonia, as we know, gets farmed a lot over the course of um the Britonians rise as a separate kingdom its own kingdom and the bretonian kingdom from around about 1500 years ago onwards so it's uh it gets changed massively human terraform so to speak
0: yeah so anyway getting into the actual formation of bretonian itself in the first appearance of the lady is that mm-hmm. Bretonia. a lot of people when when they kind of think of like the the uh, bretony tribe the Brittany tribe however you want to pronounce it that uh, they were like oh they hear the word tribe and they think like humans wearing animal furs throwing like yeah. wooden sticks and stuff it's like no no they were at this point they were already like they already had something that was what we would identify as kind of knights forming up this is a thousand years after the empire has formed like they yeah. have technology going civilization is building they've got things going on but Britonia has an issue that the lands that they're in, the empire did a great job forming some really strong relationships with the dwarfs, And they're also completely surrounded by some really well protected mountains, all of which are dwarf inhabited. And through those relationships, the empire thanks to its relationship with the dwarves was able to advance rapidly compared to other human nations. And the Bretonians did not get this really, really fast advancement. They were much further behind. Uh, technologically, and they were also far more spread out. Bertoni is a huge land, um, and it's got these gigantic forests, and there's a lot of open plains and open other space. Uh, yes, check out the Lawhammer Discord, also the Ratcatchers Guild. Ratcatcher's Rat catcher's
1: guild. guild is probably a better place to go if you're looking for um online support for finding yourself a group Um, the Rookery occasionally has people asking over there as well so the Rookery Discord, which you might be able to find out there that's a, a Discord that I help run with some of the coolest folks ever um, um, obviously there's the Lawhammer Discord too but the Lawhammer Discord is more about talking about Lawhammer than it is about finding your own group
0: yeah, Ratcatcher's Guild though, you could Yeah, like you
1: caught us live though, so nice to yeah. see you there thanks very much, Race Shaman
0: uh, did the lady give Britonia a guy for insulting people from the ramparts? You you joke, but we'll we'll talk about peasants. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll get to peasants and the lady. They have a there's an interesting relationship there. Um, uh, but in any event, uh, Britonia at this time is dealing with a lot of problems. The biggest thing is that they kind of go through. Although there is not an ever chosen involved, it could genuinely, accurately be described as an end time scenario from a Britonia point of view. Which Absolutely. Is basically, every force of destruction that exists attacks Bretonia at roughly the same time.
1: Um, It's also worth adding just so that because it was hinted at there by Sotek, but so we understand by this point, Bretonia is not dissimilar to the Bretonia we'll have later in terms of its split up with duchies, but it's far broader than that. There's probably more duchies, more smaller fiefdoms of various <laughs> kinds, but it is a proper civilization of people. The original Brittany tribe um, has almost certainly split up into its various clans. Those various clans have each individually risen to individual power. The most powerful leaders have become their dukes or some local equivalent. And the big duke and duchies, as we will come to know later, are already all established. So these are already big. Now, there's lots of other smaller ones, many of which will be lost to time because it's a 1,500 years worth of rule that we're going to have ahead of Gilles. Um, but nevertheless, this is a proper established set of peoples that are spread across from end to end over bretonia as we know it now. So don't think of bretonia as some sort of backward nation. Don't think of bretonia as something that's small. They have faced off against the empire multiple times in various wars and won some of them. Um, and the empire and bretonia are at a similar technological level at this point. Um, the retardation of their development is going to come later. The Empire is going to go in a very different direction to the direction that they go in and for very good reasons. But before we do that, turn it, bandit, you rock.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Are there any Bretonian knights that don't worship the lady besides Malabad's lot? How would the lady feel about throwing weapons like javelins? They are technically just spears after all. Thanks for all the work you guys do. Uh, are there Brito- Bretonian knights that right. don't worship you could argue there's always an exception to every rule like that. So are there knights out there who have leaned towards a different patron than others? Yes. Um, They're probably a very big oddball. Uh, yeah were there knights
1: there. That were facing off across the um, battlefields of Europe that weren't Christian? yeah of course some of them were um, some are more or less devout so to speak but unlike the real world and this is something that people often get very confused with in their heads because they go well in the real world it's like this unlike the real world the gods are freaking real yeah they are there you don't need faith there is no faith. The gods are there, and the lady in particular is relatively unique for goddesses in that she actively supports her people, as we're going to go on to, and actually can be found, is there. This is not a goddess that is distant. She is someone who's there, who cares, and has a particular way that she expects people to be. And if you're not like that, you don't get her blessing. Of course they all worship her. Of course they all follow her, because to do anything else is just pure stupidity or boneheadedness. Now, are some people stupid and boneheaded or arrogant? Of course. There's all manner of folk who would be like that. But for example, throwing weapons like um, javelins and spears and such like, it's just not the way they're supposed to do things. Will it happen? Yes. But there is a set bunch of rules that we're going to move on to that they're supposed to live their life by. And this, broadly speaking, kind of breaks it. And to break that is gut-wrenchingly awful because the goddess is there at all times. They pray to her before every single battle. The mists rise up. There is evidence of her everywhere. And if you don't do it right, that evidence doesn't come.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of the thing of like in a desperate situation, could ignite. night? Pick up whatever he has to hand and throw it at an enemy. Yeah, he could probably get away with that. But, like, is he going to be carrying around like a, a case of javelins or have specific throwing axes with him? Probably not. Um, yeah, because that sure. would be more of an intentional violation of his oaths as opposed to a desperate scenario type situation.
1: War is war. And as we'll get on to, the lady, contrary to most people's expectation, is one of the most strongest proponents of war that there is out there. Oh, yeah. She is a goddess of war. So she's also a goddess of many other things, but she is a goddess of war. They pray to her before every single battle.
0: Yeah, she's vicious. She's she is a
1: goddess of war. Do not get your head wrong on that one. Um, and it's yes, the correct way of handling war, and there is a host of reasons for that that we'll get on to later. Um, but loosely speaking, doing anything that breaks their rules is seen as a bad thing, but real life gets in the way of perfection every single time (laughs) yeah hey Aaron. was it a lustrian or arabian swallow that brought all the coconuts to Britonia, so that they could have all their horses almost certainly a lustrian one i don't think there's any doubt about that one (laughs) (laughs) and it was heavily laden at that um hey commander bond is throwing swords as projectiles acceptable broadly speaking no it's dishonorable and why that's dishonorable, we'll get onto later. And why the rules exist, we'll get on to later as well. At the moment, though, we, it's all about discussing good we, old shield. We appreciate the Super Chats, guys. We'll get
0: there. <laughs> yeah, we will get,
1: get to that <laughs> so, one. So
0: um, what's interesting about the lady is that... Pri- so this is the setup we're going to, is that the land of Britonia has been inhabited for roughly a 1,000 years by a fully... Get, they've 20 Brittany tribes have gotten together, four of them have been uh got obliterated about halfway through that. But mm-hmm. so we, we, you know, the kind of the joke of we have 20 something falls and smashes, 16 Brittany tribes who have managed to survive for roughly a thousand years through some really nasty stuff. Halfway they've had
1: 2000,
0: two yeah, 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 2000. Actually, no, you are correct, it is 2000. Yeah. Um, that's sorry, that is correct, but uh. Uh, 500 years before where we are now four of them sadly didn't make it through an orc wah which greenskins do but the stage is thus uh literally every bad thing that can happen is happening the forest of arden uh which is near uh crone it's kind of that more northern forest is infested with beastmen who are swarming out in massive war herds the Norse have showed up all along the coastline and are raiding and pillaging. And there is a chaos champion moving out to lead these troops into battle in the lands of protonia The orcs out of massive Orcle and the Grey Mountains and the mountains to the south, which are not the vaults. It's Actually,
1: I'm going to jump on the orcs a little bit more and say that this got quite a lot of detail in various books. The orcs are almost fascinating in how they come piling out of the mountains. It's marked hmm. on more than one place that they do so on purpose, at once, as one with the express preferred outcome of enslaving all of Britonia, And their goal is to attack from all sides at one point. The truth behind that, who freaking knows? There has, um, it has to it proper warlord. mental. In terms <laughs> of how Greenskin represented. <laughs> it's, you know, what Greenskin warlord can manage that sort of logistical nightmare? But apparently, that's loosely speaking how it's presented in God voice. This isn't even in time we're doing it from the perspective of a historian trying to explain what happened. Nope. God voice says they attacked from all sides pretty much at once at the command of probably one orc warlord.
0: We'll come back around to him in a second because there is something important about this mysterious warlord. So, and then, of course, the other things beyond that, there are undead stirring um, near the uh, the valleys of what we will later known as Musion, so the valleys of the River Grismere, uh, but shit's bad. A, a huge dragon shows up by the name of uh, Smirgus, who is an absolute pain in the ass, but mm-hmm. luckily for everyone, uh, Smirgus gets killed right before everything really bad happens by Gio, Uh a... A very brave guy. No, now. Now, to put it clear how much of a badass Gilles is, he's not a grail knight yet. He's never met the lady. No, there, no there is no, the grail there yeah. no, no grail knight,
1: there are no grail knights yet. They don't exist. He's just a he's guy. Just a dude,
0: yeah. <laughs> and he, he kills a fucking dragon, a big old world dragon. Uh, thank you for answering. what a knight PC that turned his back on the lady because he saw his uh, risen doesn't make sense? Uh, what a knight who turned his back on the lady makes sense? It happens. Yeah,
1: individual yeah. stories always make There are a ton of renegades. Um, there night. are always reasons for people to lose faith in what is considered to be the standard form of faith and expression. There's always good stories for that. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, run we'll with, it. Have we'll, run we'll, with it,
0: run with it. I'm talk about a character who literally is that kind of... Pretty character. much is uh, that, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, shit's bad is the is mm-hmm. long and short of it. A couple of the kingdoms have kind of started bonding together. So is uh, Duchies, thank you. Uh, uh, have kind of started to band together a little bit. Uh, Gilles Le Breton, before any of the crazy stuff happens, he marries uh, Lord Therolf's sister, who is the Lord of Lyoness. So Lyoness and Baston already are kind of linked at this point. They're already buddies. And the last buddy they get before shit really starts hitting the fan is good old landwin outside of Moussian. And Landouin is, he is Lancelot. Like he is, Gilles Le Breton's yeah. a big deal but Landuin was like the beast when it came to being perfect, which if you know how the Warhammer world is, unfortunately <laughs> for him, <laughs> he was the golden boy. Uh-oh. But, uh, the so as Andy mentioned, the biggest threat, despite all of these threats that are happening literally at the same time, it's not like, oh, this happened one year and then this happened next. No, this is... All- lady.
1: Thank, you. Thank, yes, much. thank you very much. Super appreciated. Awesome this- lines, Doris. And of course, just Twitch as a whole. <laughs> just like, loving like, us, was, yeah. was that weird? Hey, thanks, uh, nice, Twitch. Anyway, <laughs> I guess they're doing something. <laughs> thing, but uh, they're
0: so you have all these threats simultaneously attacking Bretonia, and they know shit's bad. I mean, Lewin's father die or Jill's uh, father dies to this the orcs as they're rising up because the orcs are rising up over the course of about forty years, which is yeah. a really long time for an orc want to be building. And shows how patient and scary this mysterious war boss is. It's,
1: this one is awesome. Um, uh, it's also worth noting that of all the threats that Bretonia is currently facing, um, the worst one is the Greenskin. Yeah, that's what I was about. Um, to say. The rest of them are almost like icing on the horror cake. They are clearly making things worse or better, if you like horror cakes. Um, but it, they are. Other threats, it's the greenskins that are proving to be the threat. Um, so that's worth noting because it's uh, particularly worth noting when we start moving into the important battles that Gilles is about to engage in.
0: Yes, so uh, Gilles and his two buddies um find out that the orcs have finally launched the actual attack. Like, this is no longer just a single tribe has come down on the mountains because they've been forced out or they're raiding. No, this is a coordinated angry loud big evil wall and uh good to know that thank you line
1: that's really uh, good to know okay I won't question it as twitch does indeed uh, twitch, I'd
0: twitch, a little extra
1: twitch, there oh twitch my um, awesome <laughs> brilliant good to know so this wall
0: comes swarming out from everywhere they're coming out of the forest they're coming out of the valleys they're coming out of the uh, they're coming out of the crags because there's a lot of like very big underground places around bretonia They're coming out of the mountains. They're coming out of fucking everywhere. And Jill decides that the best thing they can do is desperately, desperately try to ride out and just cut off the head of the serpent. Go out, yep. fight this thing. Because humans are have figured out that greenskins, there's only one realistic way to beat them, which is you kill the warlord or the war boss. That's it. Like if you try any other method, it's probably not going to work out. So they gather their armies together and they march out into the forests of uh, Shalons Mm -hmm. uh, where they take camp for the night, knowing that the orc horde is just over the horizon waiting for them. And they know they're doomed. Like it's not, this is not a happy camp. It's not a camp of like, Hey, we'll do our best. They know they are marching into suicide. Like there is, at best, they will kill the war boss, which will cause the WA to infight, and maybe that'll allow the more fortified castles to survive, but everybody else is totally boned. But if they don't do something, it's just going to roll over all of them in a big green tide, and they're dead anyway. So might as well go out fighting, right? That's, that's their situation. That's how grim the scenario is. It is the end of days under a, a green tide, so to speak. And then something really weird happens. Um. So, okay, this question is asking who is the most who is the most Merliny character?
1: Uh, they don't really have one in Britannia. Yeah, they, um, they... Now, It'd be super easy to go. Oh, someone like Morgan le Fay, um, who we'll soon be uh, learning more about. But really, strictly, there's not a strong Merlin character that they pulled into the Bretonian background, and it shows one of the key differences between, say, the Grail romances et al, um, and what then got turned into Bretonia There's not yeah, a strong. There it's was.
0: not a one-to-one at all. There's going to a lot, a a lot of questions when we get into the Q&A section of the, the stream where people are yeah, asking yeah. specifics. And it's not as strong. Like, it's it's very surface level, but we'll, we'll show that off. So anyway, yeah. so this leads to the first appearance of the Lady of the Lake, which is that uh, this tranquil, beautiful lake in the Forest of Shalons has this mysterious mist come out of it. And mm-hmm. this incredibly, unspeakably beautiful young woman emerges from the water and she's bearing a golden grail.
1: Mists rise all round as well uh, on all sides. Don't forget the good old mist. Yeah. Um, it's-, it's worth noting at this point, though, that the I- concept of the lady is marked in a couple of places in the older, but not the most recent books. And I do say that with a certain tongue in my cheek because Bretonia were done bad. They were only given two books in total for their background, um, mm-hmm. the fifth edition. And then the sixth edition, which didn't rewrite anything from the sixth edition uh, from the fifth edition, it just added some more and didn't add the rest. Is in that it siphoned it down a little bit and gave some in-character stories, um, to present the history. So the history became, if anything, even more unreliable than it was before. The previous version having a god voice with a lot of myth says this and myth says that, um, where it then turned into here's some of the myths. Um, so both books still stand pretty much as clear examples for Bretonian lore. And in there, it quite clearly states that since, and I quote this line here, since the Stone Age, what the fuck does that even mean? That means the original um, Bretoni tribes coming in as simple tribesmen all the way back in the day, 2000 years before Gilles Le Breton's time, we're talking proper ancient, there had been long Ever since that area, long rumors and myths of the lady who was a character that carried many, many different versions, but it was largely a god of the peasantry, someone that would come and potentially help in times of need. And Mark, again, here's a word for you, you don't often see here with Warhammer, marked as an angel. Now, that's not a word you often hear in Warhammer because the whole concept of angels is not a very Warhammer-y concept. They they much prefer just saying, demons, demons everywhere, my lord! Um, and they, they're not so keen on the idea of there being some potential saviour out there too. But in Bretonnia, there was this concept of a lady figure, a feminine goddess that potentially came and helped. But it was ephemeral, as ephemeral as the mists themselves that rise when the lady comes. This is the first real strong bum bum bom lady time. Yeah. Now, what's, uh, Grailby should have been a
0: thing and not just an art piece and old, uh, Brett should have had more monster Cavalry like a Total War Warhammer with the, like the Hippogriff Knights. Oh, we'll we'll talk about some cool type yeah, shit yeah. in a minute.
1: But a bad idea, Commander uh,
0: Yeah, What's what's really, really interesting, uh, for this appearance, just to draw how weird this is, nobody, as far as we know, Nobody in that camp was praying to the lady. Mm -hmm. Nobody was reaching out to her. Nobody did any kind of weird offering. There's no mention of like Gilles and all these buddies, like calling out into the dark for some God to help them. Like with the whole hash it it situation. Like there was, there was none of that. There was nothing. There was nothing that should have drawn the lady. (laughs) Um, But yet she appears unrequested unsummoned she just shows up and the second the knights look at her they're like oh shit that's a god like they they Obviously. just know yeah <laughs> I'm looking at her like she emerges from the lake and like her emergence from the lake is super creepy in the in the story for it because she doesn't disturb the water like she comes out of it there's no ripples there's no effect she just appears out of it while it still has that mirror sheen and they're like damn and the two th- most important things is in one hand, she has her legendary grail and in her other hand, she has a banner and it's a banner with her iconography on it. And she comes to them and she grants them the banner. And she also allows three people to sup from the grail being, uh, Gilles Landouin and Therolf, because they've proven themselves and or they really? get scary. Mm-hmm. Like, and, we're. We're. i want to just kind of fast forward through a lot of this but the 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 12 battles happen uh the first one
1: like we're talking i, have like, one that I want to call out on it um, but do carry on
0: i will just fast forward as far as to put into perspective they're called the 12 great battles so a lot of people might assume like oh maybe this like they don't take place over a terribly long period of time um it's actually very very back to back to back to back to back despite the fact that they are all horribly massive battles. Like yep. we're talking borderline battle of Blackfire pass size battles. Two of
1: them are against fucking Cetra. <laughs> and what most the of them- the fuck? What's he doing over there? I know, I'm going to take a jaunt over there. Cetra invades um, because, you know, why not? Uh, is over there being a thing. Um, Cetra does the thing. That's marked in quite a few of the books. Fucking Cetra being an arse, popping over, gets defeated twice by Gilles LeBreton. Oh, they fight
0: greenskins a lot. Like yep. Once again, the greenskins are the big bad threat. There are so many greenskins that of the 12 battles, I want to say that, let's see, 1, 2, 3, Pretty much 10. <laughs> 4, 5, six, I, I want to say of the 12, like Eight of them are against greenskins. Uh, one's against the Skaven, one's against Chaos, and like two are
1: against the undead.
0: <laughs> like, it's, it's so many greenskins, and it's yeah. All the same um, law.
1: And I'm gonna call out one in particular because there's one fact I want to get down early. Fact uh, wait, a minute. God voice back in fifth edition this time. Um, and battle number nine, which takes place right on by the good old wood elfy forest of Bath-Lauren. Um, And it's against greenskins. And we learn something super important from this battle. Um, and in this battle, the wood elves are fucked and they know it. They are surrounded by greenskins. They're pouring from the mountains. And the wood elves have chosen, now here's one for you, the Azrai, the most xenophobic of all elves. They hate other people. They do not get involved with other people. They despise other people. They just don't get on with them. Not only do they go up to Gilles and say, hey, let's be buddies and ally for this particular battle, they then present him with artifacts. Many artifacts, ancient elven artifacts, back in the fifth edition of the good old Bretonian army list. Um, And for the first time ever, we see the wood elves and the Bretonians not acting as wood elves quite separate, going, hey, we'll help you from afar. They meet, they have a long conversation before the battle is ensued, and they trade artifacts. They do a whole host of stuff together, and then as one army go to war against the Greenskins. And this is the one that, according to the 5th edition, decisively ends the Orc Wah. Now, this will be played around with in later in the 6th edition, um, when the battles are given slightly different um, weights, so to speak, but it's all um, most of those battles are told from uh, an encarter voice rather than uh, the god voice. Um, the this is what happened in the past in comparison to we think this happened in the past myth in comparison to some writer claiming what did occur, and this is fundamental in understanding what is to come because for the first time ever we see the Wood Elves entering the picture and desperate in the same way that the dwarves were desperate all the way at Blackfire Pass. And the dwarves were going to lose. Sigmar came to their aid and ensured that didn't come to pass. And according to this version of events, the elves were similarly beset. And they saw that the humans were not just an effective ally, they they were desperately needed in these times. It is, I think it's very fair to say as Sotek suggested, an end time scenario. The end of the world is coming to pass and their various prophetesses are telling them, you have to do this. These people need our help. It's the only way we can drive everything back. And it's the only way we can be sure our forests are also saved from the various awful things that are beset against it. But I know there's um, a sort of stress for me coming in this one, but I think it's important to note that the wood elves as we know them at this point are already becoming a thing in that they're the Azrai rather than just the weird crazy elves of the forest and this is the first time we get a clear science of them coming out and speaking to them at this point as allies but as we'll note that comes to an end in time because they take a different view once the end times so to speak have passed
0: yes now there's a couple ways yeah dragonfels is always around
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah always Remember, he's, um, he's
0: always around <laughs>
1: Uh, um, absolutely many baguettes um, uh, that is central to their trading (laughs) Uh, and snails because clearly that's all that Bretonians are baguettes and snails
0: don't I bet they love (laughs) who doesn't love bread everybody loves bread (laughs) Um, so a couple of really really interesting things is there are some really strong changes that I want to point out that kind of we're going to get into why this makes the Lady of the Lake such an interesting but messy topic. Any guys, you sure your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, we can talk about that at the very, very end, Lion. Uh, just remind yeah. me. But yeah, we can, we can do that at the end. Um, one of the things that is really interesting about Bretonia is the amount of, you, there are a lot of little changes that show up between the various editions. For instance, like Andy was talking earlier about Cetra being in the 12 battles, but in sixth edition, he gets pushed till after it's the Battles. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because um, 12 battles is mostly just about the orcs. Um, and, like, he gets replaced with vampires instead. But that's to yep. set up some Musion stuff. But anyway, what's what's really, really interesting, as with Andy said, is there is one other, not retcon, but thing that is added, which is interesting, which is that Gio gets a solo moment, though the timeline is super fucking messy. I was trying to do the math here, and it just doesn't work, so I'm just going to talk about it, which is that uh, there was an event added. <laughs> There's an event it added. Go! Yeah, oh, I'm not even going to no. acknowledge it. There was an event added in the Wood Elves 8th Edition story, which I do like, which is yep. that there is a place in the, uh, the mountains in northern Bretonia, so up near Baston and Corona and all those places, known as the Silver Spire. And the Silver Spire is this really, really fucking important place where a lot of the mountain water gathers after rain and as the ice melts and stuff, and the water comes down from that mountain and feeds into Bretonia. So the Silver Spire directly feeds into the waterways of Allaprotonia. Of it's a very sacred place, and Gilles gets a premonition. And when exactly this happens along his journey is not at all clear because he's by himself, which he really shouldn't have been. But because this is after he knows about the lady, but before he dies, which there really isn't time for that. But There's apparently, hey, yeah.
1: hey, go figure. Yeah.
0: He he squeezed it in into his schedule somewhere, but um. Jill goes up. To the I'll have a meeting spire. at two
1: o'clock. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll just add that to my calendar.
0: Jill makes a quick pick stop by the silver spire because he senses that there's some great disturbance, there's some great evil that's showing up here. Now, granted, if you were to just rewrite it to include the proper companions, this would actually work really easily among the great battles. Yeah. But this battle is really important because it's actually Morgar the corruptor himself. Morgur mm-hmm. the big bad, the eater of gods a character who is super fucking scary and important and will one day do a stream about him. But Morgur had shown up because he sensed a god. Morgur was there to eat somebody. And the Wood Elves, knowing that this place fed down into the rest of and also the force they protect, also send a force led by Orion, the king of the woods. And they show up and they see these weird humans and are like, ah, okay, you know what? Greater evil, we'll work alongside these guys. And this is the first meeting we get between Orion and Gilles Le Breton. And what's interesting is Orion, Orion is a super racist elf. Like he, He's very speciesist, even by the standards of most elves. Uh, he yeah. does not like humans at all. He just sees them as something to hunt and nothing better. But Gilles makes a genuine impression upon Orion uh, due to his courage in fighting against these hordes of beastmen and fighting against morger himself. And the two of them are able to fight and they're able to bring down Morgan and kill him, which is very difficult. And this is the first time Orion encounters the Lady of the Lake, which he will encounter her again later in a very interesting story. Uh, but he encounters her and uh, this sacred space. He doesn't meet her herself, but he tells this place is sacred and it's not theirs. And he goes, huh, that's kind of weird. And he takes this information back to Ariel, who says, hmm, that this feels familiar, but I don't understand who this is. So we're going to call her Corrigan, which means the daughter of the Miss, because there's a lot of Miss shit going on. But there's something weird here, but we don't have time to deal with this right now. we got our own problems. And the Wood Elves will, as Andy said, they proceed to further strong, strengthen their alliance with Bretonia a lot in this time. And they, and anyway, the 12 Go battles happen, <laughs> Yeah. The 12 battles happen. Uh, the Bretonians beat everyone from the the Greenskins to the Skaven to the vampires to the Norse. They kick everybody's ass, and Bretonia is secured. However, um, at the last victory, they all come together and basically come out with a. They have a big meeting in Artois, where the 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 fourteen Grail companions, because by this point. 14 noble warriors have risen up one from each duchy who has proven themselves worthy enough that the lady appeared to them and allowed them to drink from her grail.
1: Thank you Dr. Buddy.
0: Yeah. Thank you Dr. Billy. Which means that keep that in mind. The lady of the lake has appeared. uh, Let's see. So three minus 16. uh, The lady has appeared like 14 freaking times to these guys. She is and here's the thing that's super fucking crazy to think about. She has physically showed up. Yep. This is not a like, it's not like they had a dream and they woke up suddenly or a premonition where they kind of come out of a daze and suddenly they're stronger. This is a physical entity is appearing something they can touch. They yep. can see other people around them can see. And she is a God. Yep. I, like, I'll, I don't know if Andy wants to wax okay. lyrical on it for a second, but that's fucking weird.
1: Okay, so um, I'm going to double down on that and say that that is 100% accurate. We have a god, or if you wish to be entirely balanced about it, something that the Bretonians perceive to be a god. That's fair. You could argue that it's not, because these Bretonians are humans. These Bretonians are almost certainly, at this point, aware of other gods. Shalia had a temple inside Bretonia since almost time immemorial. Various other gods have impacted Britonia to a greater or lesser degree. But this one has blessed them directly and given them shit literally given them artifacts, blessed artifacts in front of them, has decided for whatever her reasons are, to separate herself from where she was, to manifest to them directly, to come to them in their times of need, and provide them with significant magical support. Now, if we're looking on the bigger side of what is possible inside the Warhammer world, this could just be a very, very powerful sorceress. That would do it. Everything that occurs could be done by a very powerful sorceress, right down to providing blessings to the various grail knights and exactly how that's uh, presented with what would be a very powerful magical artifact. There's nothing saying that couldn't be the case at this point. Uh, However, uh, what is clear, if we look at some of the other stories, is that when the elves encounter it, they are pretty fucking convinced that it's divine as well. So we now have ourselves some outside extra information, which suggests that no matter what the humans may believe, and the humans could be wrong, when the elves look in it, they're like, yeah, this is probably divine. Okay, what the fuck now? And when we're dealing with the divine and elves, it's a little bit different. Orion is divine. He's pretty much possessed by a god, as is his wife. Now, they're not possessed, strictly speaking, but they are the walking avatars of them on Earth. And that is significant because their first instincts is to go, yep, that's probably a god, which they then note and move away. This is end times shit because it is quite literally the end times uh, here. This is probably, I never chosen somewhere around the world doing some crazy crap, perhaps invading Cathay at the moment or moving into (laughs) Nippon or diving into the kingdoms of Koresh or somewhere. Who knows? Hinterlands, pardon me. Who knows if it's end or anything else that's being the center point. Of this particular attack. In bretonia it's end of the world time and the elves have responded and a goddess in the local area appears to have responded also. This is big because the goddess, as was clearly noted, did not receive prayer for this, was not summoned, does manifest directly in front of them. Now, it would be easy for us to dismiss it. We know where it's going to go and what they're eventually going to write it as at a later date. But at this point, when the, the words are written here, we're talking 5th edition then into 6th. It's not confirmed. Theories abound. There's all sorts of potentials. Everything that occurs is so drastically different to how human gods work. And I do mean drastically, because when we move beyond these battles, you'll see how her blas- blessings manifest. They could not be more different to standard human gods if they tried." This is a goddess that works completely differently to all others, and we'll go into that as we move on to describing exactly what the various followers of the lady receive. It's all very much what they receive, Um, it's not very much about how they can in turn bless others provide blessings to others. It's all very personal, and it becomes quite clear why this is the case as we move on. But the first edition hinted at it, and the sixth edition rulebook pretty much nails it down in terms of where these blessings are coming from and why. But we'll get onto that in a moment. most important part at this point is to recognize that Gilles, a bunch of others, are all completely blessed by and turned into walking, I don't know, demigods? Grail knights are not far from it in some respects they're freaking awesome they're immune to pretty much any psychological effect they live for ages they just keep on going until eventually they fall in battle and yes they might get very very old but some ancient grail chapels have got knights that have apparently possibly been sitting there for centuries they gain blessings from the lady she's picked out some folk to defend the land and the land pops up multiple times and they do and the land, as we know, in the greater scheme of things, is super important in this area because of Vassal
0: Yes, and there's a couple of little things. Ha, ah, Rig. Get um, old, Rig. The lady's <laughs> <just> rig. <laughs> the lady's an old one. Interesting theory. Um, Interesting oh, theory. We really, I really want to talk about Rig sometime, but now's not the time. Me too. Uh, and Hammond, yeah, she does need Bodyguards for the Haven, though we'll talk more about shenanigans In Time Shangans a little bit. And, um, yeah, Human well, princess is <laughs> so the, the thing about Grail Knights to consider, once I again, are, compounding how strange the lady is. Gods are not supposed to be able to manifest. That is usually explicitly against the rules. Like Andy mentioned yeah. Orion Ryan and Ariel earlier. The way they're able to cheat is that they basically possessed mortal forms and transformed them into avatars. But they took a living, physical person, manifested within them, and kind of altered them into a form where they could continue to subsist through them. And even but Orion has sh- funky shenanigans to pull it off.
1: Yeah, um, and importantly, no matter how much they may strongly change the people that they possess, they are still the people that they possess. Ariel is not someone else. Ariel is Ariel. Yeah, She just has extraordinary power and has... Arguably, become a mutant, depending how it was to look at this. With her big flappy wings, um, but she has become something else. She has become something more, but is still Ariel. In this case, it appears to be the actual goddess, possibly, or it could just be another one like Orion and Ariel that they just don't know. Yeah, but is what's also very strange is
0: the Grail Knights themselves. There are a lot of artifacts in the world that can make people powerful. There are a lot of priests that could become very powerful. But mm-hmm. the thing about the Grail Knights is they don't, at least at first, they don't pray to this goddess. They have no fucking idea who she is. She just shows up and lets them suffer from this Grail and they're like, okay. The thing is, though, her power persists. This is not a temporary buff, like with most martial yep. artifacts. It takes an incredible amount of power to do what the Grail does to someone for a short amount of time. This is a permanent change. Grail knights do not age, they're not human really anymore. They're superhumans. They move horrific. Like the other crazy thing is their power isn't even necessarily consistent. Every grail knight, that power they gain from the grail will manifest differently. Some, although they all like are much more long-lived and they're freakishly fast and freakishly strong and very tough, some of them bleed literal light. Some of them are able to cause strange powers by looking at people. Some of them are able to use skills that look like priestly invocations or spells being cast. They're kind of, they're not, they're usually like these really crazy physical powers, but they're not human anymore. Really, they're not.
1: But they are. They're still having children. They're still they're they're human, but they're not human as we understand. They're superhuman. Yeah, I think superhuman. that would be a better way of putting yeah. it. Um, but um, they have become more than human. Um, more than any other human that kicks around beside them. Um, and as I think becomes pretty damned obvious from what we're saying through the course of these twelve battles, through the course of the first Grail Knights and eventually Gilles' death, which is worth looking at a bit because we're about to. Yeah, to another, about, another gonna, We're going to wrap
0: up Gilles here. Um,
1: in a second. <laughs> Um, because we've got a look um, look at the time already and we've got quite a lot to get on to here Um, it's already quarter past and we've got freaking tons to cover yet Um, after our 12 battles after all of this has been laid down um, the development of the um, religion of the lady becomes a thing but it's fair to say it's a development um, in that what Gilles did is not what the Grail Knights end up doing Um, they do it through a different process uh, the Grail Knights to be Um, And what it is to become a grail knight becomes codified over time. What the lady means becomes codified over time until eventually we have ourselves a complete and established religion. And this complete and established religion is super fascinating because the second you take yourself outside of the religion and you look at what's happening, it doesn't just make sense. You can suddenly see the hand of artifice that something is being done and why it is being done, and the whole purpose of what is going on in Britannia. And the easy one would be to say, oh, it's just elves screwing with them and shit, isn't it? And the answer is almost certainly, no, it's not. No, no, it's no, no, much no. deeper than that. For all, I think it would be fair to say that a primary motivation is to protect Loren because Athel Loren is actually special. It's yeah. a special place in the old world, um, and protecting it is important, and at We can see the motivations of the lady right at the beginning. Athel Loren was probably going to fall. It's the end times. And the lady steps in and the lady steps in and says, hey, humans, you can help. And this is how I'm going to help you help. You're almost certainly about to all die. And this is how I'm going to help this particular issue and ensure it doesn't occur. And now I've done this, it's important that you go and help others. Is in fact important that those few that I've selected, because I know they're pure of heart, which is essential during an end time scenario, you must be pure or you'll just fall to the dark gods. That's what's happening. The ruinous powers are waxing. She has chosen ones specifically that are not going to be tempted by this. She has gifted them extraordinary power and then they go and help the elves. The greenskins are driven back. The Britonia's borders are safe and this becomes an ongoing project. Whatever this goddess is, she has decided that the best way to protect Aethel and the elves, the best way to protect the land of Britonia as a whole, is to continue her active support of these humans. And this becomes a 1,500-year-old project. The sort of project that will, um we are going to have to get to Morgana in a second, but because she's directly doing this, mm. protect, uh, you could argue with a very simple, she's now Queen of Britannia. I mean, not literally. I'd argue she's above Queen of Britonia. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> she, she's above both. But several of the um, the Grail Knights, when they encounter her, um, they often refer to her as the true Queen of Brittany. She is the one who does it. She is literally there as a god. She's not some distant god that they pray to and hope something occurs. She is quite literally there, quite literally findable, and had been known about before the arrival of her in that battle in that there was lots of old stones and old sacred places were misgathered that people were aware of so this isn't a goddess that just turned up on that day and just imposed herself she'd been around for ages she chose not to involve herself the an end times event came she realized that the only way to resolve it was to impose her will directly and she did it's a fascinating circumstance Mm. but unlike every other human god what then happens next is so different that the Bretonians are unique, completely unique because every other god that exists out there in terms of humans follows this model. We are outside the world, we have a bunch of folks who are aligned to us, that we empower to pass on our blessings. Now the truth of that can be argued in a variety of ways, but that's what they do. That's not what happens here. The grail knights pray and they receive power. They don't bestow power on other people like other priests do or manage to cast a prayer to make their um, hammer go repeatedly as and when they want. They pray and they receive power externally. When they drink from the good old grail, they are permanently changed into some avatar of the lady, if you wish. It doesn't really matter how what language you use. What matters is that the faith as humans express it, faith as humans understand it, Faith, as it's often described in other books, does not apply here. This goddess is different. She doesn't have people doing prayers and acting on her behalf. And those who are strongly aligned to her and are magical, they get magic. They don't get prayers.
0: I'm going to interrupt real quick because there's a couple We got a big
1: one. Yeah, There are a couple of really fast
0: things I want to hit on to get us to where we're going to go. So I'm just going to wrap up, Gilles, really, really quick of just Jill uh two important things last to note with him and the lady is that if you the whole thing with ranged weapons is literally in the sixth battle for Tonia a a goblin spearchucker literally shot Gilles Le Breton and almost killed him it should have killed him everybody thought he was going to die they took him to uh... a
1: <laughs> I'll cover these don't worry about it just keep talking uh,
0: they they I'll took him to, him to the uh they took him to like a castle castle montfort and they were like oh he's going to die how horrible and then the lady quite literally shows up mm. as like nope and blesses him again. He he's literally gets him. up, rips the thing out, it's like ah, and he goes off and immediately kills three wyverns, because he's fucking Gilles. Um, oh. <laughs> artist. <No. laughs> uh, so, then, later, Gilles Breton is struck down years after the final battle. So, after the 12th yeah. battle, there's about a 17 year gap. This is probably when the whole Silver Spire ins- incident might go down, uh, because that is when Gilles is by himself. And Gilles is struck down in a battle by an unknown hand. We don't know who did it. All we know is that it was some kind of ranged weapon. Someone threw something at him or shot something at him. Um, it's not exactly clear. We know he was finding Greenskins, and we know green he skins. got shot,
1: um, yeah, green
0: but it's not, it's left deliberately vague. What took him down other yep. than it was a ranged weapon. And uh, because of those two incidents, uh, bretonians brutally eschew the idea of ranged weapons as the ultimate coward's weapon because if anyone had fought Jill face to face fairly he would have been unstoppable he would have struck down anyone it had to be the coward's way out to take him down now moving on from Jill, uh onto the lady uh, I
1: don't think we should move on from Jill quite yet because there's a quick story with him as he's taken down because he's taken back to the lake
0: uh, I was about to, I was about to talk about her uh, about, about Oh yeah okay sorry not moving because on because he's not
1: actually dead yet
0: yeah, so Gilles is mortally wounded. Like, he's dying. Yeah. like He's really dying for, for real this time. <laughs> not like <laughs> the last time. And uh, they're basically, uh, what happens is that Gilles has a vision uh, from the lady and he tells his men, I need you to take me to this particular lake. And they say, all right. And they take him there and, they, they, and as they're all sitting on the shore, a boat approaches. And upon this boat is a woman. It's not the lady, but it is, a beautiful woman who <laughs> bears the lady's voice and bears the lady's will. And this is the first appearance of the Fey Enchantress, uh, Morgiana La Fey. Uh, though supposedly, according to some tales, she went by different names t- during, there's a whole mess about like what name she used at different time periods uh, yep. because the lore doesn't necessarily agree with itself. But most versions agree, it's always been the same Faye Enchantress, but she might've gone by different yep. names to not freak the humans out so much. Yep. Uh, because the Bretonians, what's very interesting is that Bretonians don't actually get a lot of exposure to elves. A lot of people think they do because, oh, they live right next to Athaloran, but Athaloran is incredibly yeah. insular and does yeah. not like outsiders. They don't talk to the Bretonians a lot of the time, and most Bretonians have no idea what an elf is, really. Like, they're vaguely aware of the term, but they don't actually really know what elves are.
1: I'm going to go for even further and say that... um. The elves as we know them, and we all as consumers of Warhammer are quite aware of all the different types. Um, The only ones that they would have any real chance of encountering frequently would have been the high elves, but they are very much on lockdown as well. They murder anything that hits the high sea. They're as insular as the wood elves at this point. It's not until Finubar the seafarer that they open themselves up and start opening trading posts again. So bluntly, they have no idea what an elf is. There's lots of spirits of the wood and various other spirity types. And they often look like elves. Yeah, it doesn't often. help that
0: like dryard, dryads you know, look naiads? like elves. naiads or, look Richard? like
1: elves. They all look like elves, which is, I think, an interesting stream to come in the future um, because they all look like elves. So seeing an elf or something similar is not seen to these bretonians as something that is, oh, it's an elf. It's much more like, oh, it's a spirit or a god. Yeah, it's a fae. So anyway,
0: the fae enchantress, she takes Gilles with her and she basically says some parting words of that uh, Gilles has served his time and that he will return when Bretonia needs him most. And then she sets sail back off into the mist. And then she mysteriously returns later. It actually gets a little fuzzy about what exactly happens between
1: this and when she comes. Because sometimes in the original lore, it was instant. That was it. She came back um, and she was like, "Hey." Gilles, son, here's the freaking crown.
0: Oh no, you're right. She does come back immediately. Actually, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah,
1: she yeah, actually, I
0: don't think she sets off with Gilles. I think she puts him on the boat and then she stays.
1: Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, um, and the boat and, uh, Is packed away um in the cave of the forest of Shalom on the big lake there. Um, and uh it's made into quite clear Gil is not dead, Gil is fucking off now. We're looking after him, don't worry about Gilles. Um, But as far as uh, the kingdom's concerned, dude's dead. Yeah, Yeah. actually he is. No, he's not dead. Doesn't make a great deal of sense if you think about it too hard. Just remember, Gilles can come back, may come back, is dead, isn't dead. But yeah,
0: we all know what's going to happen. This establishes a really core power of the Fae Enchantress, is that she declares that his time as king is done. Which that is a power of the Fae Enchantress. Like, she is way above the king. Because she speaks for the lady, and the lady is their god, and the lady is the ultimate
1: authority. So she is the ultimate authority. And she tells and them... We get the first true steps, I think, of control of the kingdom. Um, yeah. Where before this, it was uh, helping the kingdom deal with the horror of everything that lay out there. Now, Morgiana arrives and says, you know what? I'm in control. Yep. That's it. And it's me. And all of you people out there, uh, you are going to worship the lady. And this is the lady's tenets. This is how the lady works. And this is what you should be doing to pursue her uh, and ensure that you do everything right. Like Gilles, I'm protecting Gilles as well. In fact, everything that you're doing is pretty much by me. Yep. So
0: the fan enchantress quite literally takes over this entire country in like a day. Um, she walks up, says, and
1: binds it as a country as well.
0: Yes, uh, of Gilles' work. Uh, old man Brenton pulls a rowboat Gilliman and <laughs> just goes for a long nap. You're not rowboat no. Gilliman. Be fair, <laughs> Gilles doesn't really go for a nap. He just gets a makeover and then goes but, crap, go, rowboat Gilliman. Holy crap! Rowboat Gilliman. But um, <laughs> what's what's interesting is that to she takes over their government to such an extent that the fan changers immediately declares. For there to be a king, they must have supped from the Grail. Mm-hmm. If you are to be king, because initially the Bretonians are like, okay, well, he was the last king. Uh, his son Louis is pretty cool. Why? Why don't he should become the next king? And she says, no, he can't. He hasn't supped from the Grail yet. Is, is later he just using watery, which uh,
1: hallucinogenic gases,
0: <laughs> spice bog water? And the
1: answer is no. No, um, clearly Hieronymus, and we'll get onto exactly what the lady's doing, because there is a, not just a pattern of behaviour that you can um, drill down and understand here. The plan, which Morgiana Le Fay is now enacting and about to enforce upon bretonia and it does take a few centuries before it's drilled down properly, but the plan, as it's about to become clear, follows a particular path that isn't just obvious, it makes sense if you know what's going on in the Warhammer world as a whole. Um, and that is a question.
0: Yeah. So, okay. This is worth, we're going to touch on this real quick. And then I'm going to do a big skip here, which is that, uh, is Borgiana an elf? Depends on which source you look at. Um, there have been disagreements because some writers made a decision and other writers probably did not read that decision. And so made a different decision. Uh, most forms of the lore seem to agree that she is an elf. However, there have been occasional writers who say, no, she's a human, which leads to widespread fucking confusion. Um, <clears> and it <throat> so, really doesn't help that the End Times explicitly made her human, which fucked a whole lot of shit up. Uh, but I, I'll put it this way. In the role play game, she is and Knights of the Grail 2nd Edition, she's 100% confirmed to be an elf. In the 6th Edition Warhammer Fantasy Army book for Bretonnia, elf. it is heavily implied she's an elf. It doesn't direct-
1: seventy six. Go look at the picture on page 76 yeah, of the Sixth Edition army list. She's a freaking elf. Um she is an elf. Look at the model that was released for Sixth Edition. They may it's a bad one, but it doesn't matter. It's a freaking elf. Um Morgiana yeah. ed, am- is at this point clearly an elf. Yes. Working um, on behalf of the lady.
0: And in the Black Library books, uh The Knights of Britonia by Anthony Reynolds, she is explicitly an elf. So yep. three different studios agree that she's an elf. The End Times is genuinely the only time where someone came in and said, no, she's a human. And it's I really think it's just because that author didn't check other work. In the End Times, the authors just had carte blanche to write whatever they wanted. And it made us huge fucking mess of everything. Um, um,
1: yeah, I, I will go on record and say, I actually actively... Not just dislike, but really dislike the take that was given for the lady et al. that is presented inside the end times because it takes some lore that had been long established, well set up, very clearly written, and muddies it up in such a way that it not only no longer makes sense, it uh counter, oh, it's just it's just bad. Um, because it makes a host of stories just no longer be the stories. And for me, it's bad because the most recent lore released by the studio is considered to be the lore that you need to use when you are writing material for Warhammer. And the most recent version <laughs> of the lore comes from the end times, which means as a writer, if I'm, if I'm looking at trying to write this section, if I was doing it professionally rather than just off my own back for my own campaign, I would have to look at the end times and go, that's the facts. And, and just cry into my computer as I attempt to add some shades of grey and make it a little bit better as my keyboard slowly but surely fizzes and pops because of all my tears. Um, loosely speaking, the version that's presented in the End Times doesn't make sense. Her being an elf absolutely does to a degree. However, I would argue that if she was an elf and so easily discerned to be an elf, that she would have been outed as one multiple times in the past. So I think that the piece of art that's put together by Mark Gibbons from Morgiana Um, so that's in the fifth edition, and it's probably the most famous piece of art for the Fey Enchantress. Um, that version of her is almost certainly a version that is frequently seen, spotted, and understood by others. After all, we are dealing with a goddess of mists and shadows. Yeah, And, and shadow lords. Uh, <laughs> It makes sense that there would be a certain amount of um, uh, material which would do it. And again, uh, bring this one up, Hammond. You're spot on. She in um, uh, any lore that's presented by Games Workshop will say this because the end times is the lore would, that they I would use. I wouldn't want to
0: see a source on that, to be fair, because I've, I've been um, working with them for a while and I don't think I've seen them
1: expressly say that. Um. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that privately they might think something else. Privately they might think, yeah, human makes most sense. And parts of the lore, human is the only thing that does make sense. But the overarching one is that she's probably not. Um. See before n maybe she's a shape changer from the moon I'm um, um, both. Uh, probably not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But uh, that being said, um, just because looking at time, I'm going to speed run through a couple of real things so we can actually talk about the lady and focus on the point of the stream, which is the lady. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's really interesting is the influence she has in Brittonia is that over the course of decades or a couple centuries she uh well yeah but the okay Hammond is joking but yeah see to see a, she is an elf. I could I could say that she is an elf. Um they don't treat her as human. Um but anyway, uh the important bit is that when the lady takes over a couple really really important things happen.
1: Not the only half elf. That's are, a stream in the future. We are There's not, several
0: we are not touching that today. <laughs>
1: We're not, <laughs> We're not touching that. I'm just bringing that one up because not the only half-elf. Yeah. Um, oh, well, it came up from Holy Artist as well. Um, thanks, Holy Artist. half don't exist while simultaneously do. And there's a whole story there, different stream. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, so uh, the important bits is that the lady very strongly takes over, sets up a very strict religion. In the sense that it is very well defined, it is very specific virtues, it is very specific trusts for the ladies. It's got a lot of very, very specifically determined rules, things they're supposed to do, things they're supposed to aspire to. Now, granted, they're okay, not the best at following well, yeah. them, but the weird thing is the lady forms a pact that Bretonia doesn't get a choice in, which is has to do with the children.
1: So the lady does something really spooky. <laughs> Actually, can I just bring in, just to make sure that we cover this, because the Seven Commandments to Chivalry were laid out, um, and there's a whole host of oaths that can also be done, but the Seven Commandments are worth looking at because they actually speak to what the Lady's doing. I'm going to read them out. Okay, so number one is, uh, here we go. Number one, serve the Lady of the Lake. Number two, defend the domain entrusted to Lady of the Lake, whoever it is. The Knight has to swear that they'll defend their domain. To protect the weak and fight for the right, Always to fight enemies of virtue and order. Never to give up the fight unless the foe is defeated. Never break faith with a friend, and ally. Okay, very important. And never to display, uh, always, pardon me, to display honor and courtesy. Now, why are those chivalric values so firmly entrenched? Because they are the core values that stand against the dark powers of chaos. they, They are pretty much all determined to be Right from the outset, all of them must swear effectively without ever saying the word to stand for what's good and true and definitely not ruinous powery. Um, It's so strongly entrenched in them as a a, a whole society that it's not just the nobles that do this. Because one of the big mistakes of people who, when they approach the uh, lady, often with the writing, is right from the outset, she's not a goddess of nobles. She's a goddess of nobility. The peasantry believe that she is responsible for the cycles of life she they, she brings up fertility into the fields. lady is a goddess of the peasants and this is something that a lot of people like to try and say oh she's just a goddess of the knights isn't she she isn't she's a goddess of Bretnia as a whole from the top right down to the bottom yeah, what and the do you think Girl Lafay- pilgrims are. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Morgiana Lafay dro- drove that into place when she first arrived, and then it got reinstilled as Morgiana Lafay as we move on to the pact, then used a variety of others to continue to spread that particular world. On one side you had the Grail Knights, and then the other side you have the damsels, which this is going to further... Think about what I'm about to talk about. It's going to sound spooky
0: at first, but let me explain why she does this. Because we kind of have an understanding of why, which is that when children are born in Bretonia, there is a known very freaky thing that is genuinely heartbreaking. Cause I mean, really think about what I'm about to say here. When your child turns three years old, if it turns out they have the gift of magic, they have the spark of magic. They're going to be able to in some way, shape or form tap into the winds of magic. They will vanish. You will come into Ooh. your house. Ha- uh, sometimes Ooh. they vanish. Sometimes someone Ooh. comes to get them.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, And I'd also say it's not universal, um, because there are several examples of um, ones that don't disappear or go off, often nobles, where they might go to the colleges of magic. Um, So there are roots out of it somehow. um, And particularly if you look at the sixth edition version of Morgiana, she's constantly touring around, often um, with kids trailing with her that she's picked up to go off. It's marked in her description in sixth edition. Um, and if you go back to the fifth edition version, the same stories are in place because they don't contradict each other between the two editions, really. It's just one of them goes God voice and the other one doesn't. Um, and the fifth edition has largely the same stories again. And they are quite clear that all children that have got the gift of magic are taken. And that's massive and horrific and also massive. Um, there's only really one other human society we know that so carefully looks for the gift of magic within children, and that's Kislev, um, where they do the same thing um, for their ice witches.
0: Yeah. Now, what's what's interesting in that is, and in it, Bretonia, it's a known thing. And it's very spooky. Like, there's even there's a lot of really strong cultural things that are really like heartbreaking about like mm. how people will take dolls and leave them at certain lakes to try and just in case they're like trying to ward off the, 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 the chance that the fan enchantress will come to collect their child or that their child will just disappear. Um, because if you're particularly unlucky, you might not even get to say bye. You might just wake up one day and your kid's gone. Um, but for most, they at least get their, their, they get to say goodbye. And the thing is, is that you know, the fan enchantress, whoever comes, they collect your child. Uh, if you're lucky, you get to say goodbye and you will very likely never see them again. Um, If they're a boy, you will never see them again. Yeah, Yeah. Ever. Um, uh,
1: Now, I think it's important that we try not to be quick to judge and say this is horrific and awful, and nothing about this makes any sense. Why would anyone ever? This is their culture. They expect that some will be selected by their god to move on to something better. They don't see it as we see it when we read the words and we go, oh, she's stealing the witches. Gotcha. It's almost the opposite. They are going on to serve and they sometimes come back, particularly with all the damsels that come back. Now, it can take a long time, but they know that they're going off to serve the goddess. It's the Fae Enchantress herself that is doing this. This is an important component of their culture and to be selected is, generally speaking, seen as a good thing. It's only the nobles who have got power and have a certain amount of selfishness sometimes who go, no, you won't take my kid and they're the ones that might try and smuggle them out. The peasantry are all behind this shit. They're 100% behind this shit. Mm. Yes, of course, there's going to be some that miss their children. It's their children. Of course, they miss them. It's horrific that their children have been taken away, but they're going for something good. They're going off to serve the lady, the goddess herself. So try to be aware that it's very easy with our modern view or our particular ethical stance that we have to judge that extremely harshly. But if you're in the middle of that and a religion that's based on something that's not just possibly real, this goddess is real. And she is saving them all. She's the high king, the high queen. She is everything. And you're getting to go and sit beside her and help out. Of course, they're for that, for all that might hurt their heart. Most of them are well up for this. Of course, it's also going to potentially provide seeds for dark gods to get into some people. Because, you know, hey, but it's being done for the greater good. Greater good. Um, There is a reason that she's doing it. And it's not just because of the chance that they have a being magical she only really takes the powerful ones, she doesn't take the ones that are unlikely to ever reach their power or be relatively so-so, so we're not talking like every 100th child is taken, it's fewer um, she's taken all the ones that are definitely going to go towards power, and she's taking them because power and the winds of magic corrupt yep,
0: and that's the thing, is that when they disappear, um, the boys don't come back, but we'll talk about them in a minute um, yep but the girls will come back. Some of them, not all of them, but m- uh, some of them. And the some that come back are noted to have been personally tutored by the fanchantress. In some Legends and myths, they might even be tutored Thanks, by Mabel. the lady herself. Thanks, Maple. Appreciate it. Thanks. You're wrong. Uh, but when they come back, they are very powerful wizards. Um, and what's interesting is that Another weird thing about the lady is that we've been talking a lot about her mortal servants and such with the grail knights and now the damsels. The lady is a human god, supposedly, mm-hmm. and yet she does not have priests, mm-hmm. which is super fucking weird because every single other god has priests that humans worship, but yep. not the lady.
1: The lady has representatives and it's so enormously different. They don't have a gathered cult, which is blindly shouting into the ether in the hope that they can influence a God who may be mercurial. And in some respects, by many outsiders' views, even evil. Gods are difficult at the best of times, but not the lady. She's reliable. She has a very certain set of ethics. And as long as you live by those ethics, not only is it going to turn out the best that it possibly can, you will be blessed. Certain children go to serve this goddess in the other world, as it's sometimes referred to in some of the books. Um, and some of those will come back. Her representatives return.
0: Hey Philippe, thanks so much. I think it, does the lady of the fame mourn their fallen champions, do they perform rites? Uh, there are burial rites and there are no, no, no. funerals, and uh, it, a it, it's
1: cultural war still exists as well. Um that's something that is forgotten inside the studio output but is often picked up in some of the other lesser uh, lesser influential pieces. But the God more does exist out there. Um, the concept of more exists out there and is in Brittonia. So that is worth making out. And yeah, but, yeah it's, it's
0: considered a tragedy when a Grail Knight dies. It's not like, oh, whatever. It's it's a, it's a sad
1: thing. The damsels absolutely do find um love and children. Many of the damsels are married to knights of importance. Indeed, you could argue that there's even a breeding program going on. Yeah, uh, damsels,
0: damsels get around.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they absolutely do. The damsels are the representatives of the lady, and they are all super magical. They are capable of casting spells. They don't do faith-related miracles. They don't appeal to the god and have things happen. They use actual magic. And I can't express how different this is from all of the other human gods. This is what elves do. This is what most other species do. Elves have a different view of how magic works, where magic comes from. They view it as a gift from the gods. So do the damsels. The damsels realize that they've been uh, empowered to speak. Uh, so to speak, and they can cast their magic and they're trained to do so by the lady and other damsels. As to exactly how that occurs, it's left somewhat vague, um, although it is answered in a couple of the stories that you find here or there and what happens beyond space and beyond time, because it's also worth noting that they literally move beyond space and time as we recognize it, as we move towards a higher fantasy concept, um, and it's quite possible a grail damsel will return 500 years after she was taken to be trained. Um, They don't come out immediately, as in 20 years later, oh, I've been trained, I'm arriving. Hey, mom, hope you're doing well. They're indeed often removed from their families to ensure that they have fewer emotional connections directly through to those that may make them act in a different way because these people are arguably super dangerous and they have taken exactly the same route in Bretonia that Kislev took. In Kislev, it is deemed that men are not safe with magic because of basically how men work. Men are more violent by nature or something else by nature or whatever. Women work differently, safer with magic. Whether that's true or not is entirely up to your own version of the setting, but Bretonia very much views this. Men cannot be let out to do their own thing if they have such power. Magic is corrupting, and the corrupting nature of power works really well with men. Really, really well, meaning that the colleges of magic, as they stand up in the empire, Britonia looks at, particularly with its damsels, and go, That's going to constantly create men that fall. Not all men will fall, <laughs> obviously, not all men will fall because not all men will fall. But it's a little bit like the old, How is crime um, handled? Your vast gambling. majority of crime yeah, is committed by men, yeah, totally. The vast majority of crime is committed by men in the real world. And somewhat similarly, over in the Warhammer world, the vast majority of wizards that fall to the depredations of the Ruinous Power are men. Yeah, um, interestingly, so they,
0: the Empire is literally sandwiched between two nations that don't let men use magic.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and but, uh, there, and then there you get your Egrim Van Horseman's, um, arguably yeah, one I, of the greatest threats that the, the world will ever see, created by the Colleges of Magic. You yeah. do not get that from either Britonia or Kislev. Some
0: other really quick things is that damsels are not only wizards. They're excellent wizards. They have a powerful fundamental understanding of magic to the extent that their ability to dispel and un- like unravel other wizard spells significantly better than their other human counterparts. The-, the power the lady grants them makes them bizarrely gifted at shutting down magic. Uh, compared to the likes of Imperial Wizards or Kislevite Wizards or Wizards of other (laughs) men are naughty
1: by nature. Yeah. Um, 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 But that doesn't mean they can't deny said nature, which is a very important part. Um, uh, The Praetorian option is to not even give them the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about the ladies. The lady does not take risks is what we're going to kind of see here, especially with humans. Um, But damsels, they literally wield the power of the land itself. They're often wielding the power of Gyron and Gur, which is the power of the land. Uh, to fight their battles. Those that become powerful enough become prophetesses. They gain the ability to see the future, to try and manipulate events of the future as they gain access to Azir. Uh, Which is very interesting that Azir is withheld from Damsel's uh, the knowledge of how to manipulate it until they prove themselves to be of a certain caliber. Then that knowledge is granted to them. There is a genuine training process from Damsel to Prophetess.
1: And let's just say, multiple winds of magic. Yes. Yeah. They do. Colleges in uh, the Empire claim that humans can't do this. It's clearly not true. It's just clearly demonstrably not true. The reason the colleges (laughs) take that route is because it makes it less likely that corruption will occur if you focus on a single wind. Where in this case, they've gone, yeah, we've got a way around that potential outcome. We can teach multiple winds, but we have to be careful in how it's done yeah
0: in any event as far as what happens to the boys uh literally the only source that gives anything close to an answer is phil kelly's uh short story the court beneath which is awesome it's a, a lovely movie. little
1: story by the way great yeah. story and the court sons of yeah.
0: are, are quite literally they, they are they become what you would expect they become guards um kind of magically gifted um spell blades in a sense that are charged with protecting the, the realms of the lady herself
1: My biggest issue is that they did not become a thing in the end times. By the gods, that would be fucking cool. Um, A moment of Asherman kill... Um, If we're looking over at other fantasy series uh, like The Wheel of Time, as I was, where the men most certainly could have been deployed in a way that would have been unexpected. It would have made more sense for that whole plot, that horror of a story where all the children are taken. Suddenly you've got yourself 1,500 years worth of men um, that have been trained since the beginning of time and not exposed um, to all the depredations of the dark gods. And suddenly they were in a place where they ranked up and they killed. Oh yeah, yep. that'd be freaking cool,
0: Horanus. We're I'm literally about to jump on that. Um, so uh, we're gonna kind of cut to the chase because we're running out of time here. Of what is the lady? Hmm. Um, so we've talked a lot about her strictures, the way that she handles humans, her how she's kind of mysteriously been talked about. There's a lot of mist stuff. She's very mysterious. She's kind of vague. Like she's recognized as divine by elven gods, which yep. elves are very particular about what they. Acknowledge to be a god and what they don't um they're very picky about it and the lady to her credit uh in wood elf stories there are times where a lot of people think especially if you go with the problems that showed up in eighth edition where uh i'm not saying this to like shit on him i just matt ward was given a lot of control over the elves and uh one of the things that he kind of borked up i really think was the lady um where matt ward is really the force that Took the lady and said, "Oh, she's Lilith." Like that is that is his brainchild, um, and it it just. I may be thinking, it up. but ignoring that whole bit because I'm. We're gonna explain why that's not correct here in a second. Dump um, Street, we are. Um, what is interesting is that the lady is. Uh, hey guys, YouTube raw. You need to consider doing different times in Warhammer history. Uh, it's hard to find specific
1: Warhammer history. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what... Pinueville Plane would have been a fun wing, one. Yeah, you like the battle yeah. of Plane? Yeah, well, well we're knows? going to be heading... Well, As uh, we move towards the end of this episode, we will be mentioning we're moving into a new season uh, next year. Uh, and who who knows? We might take a couple of different angles um, as to how we approach uh, some of our lore yeah, battles be that fun. would be uh, uh, super fun. Super fun.
0: Yeah, so uh, what we have here... Is that what's interesting is Athel Loren? A lot of people think, oh, the lady's just Leth or she's just an elf from Athel Loren that's controlling things. But the thing is, the lady fights with Athel Loren or the Wood Elves, I should say specifically the Asrai. Yep. There are pl- there are several times where the Asrai will fuck up and cause a problem, and the lady will show up and bitch slap them into oblivion. The, yep. the most famous, of course, of ca- uh, case of course is when Orion went mad. There was one particular time when Orion's reincarnation did not go super well. There were several issues that occurred because of it. There's a whole trilogy of books dedicated to it that are very fun. And Orion loses his shit, and he goes on a horrible wild hunt that would have potentially destroyed a lot of Britonia. And when he gets to the city of, um, uh, I think it's, is it Paravon, where he finally gets, I, I can't remember exactly what city.
1: I, I thought it was Canal. I can't recall. Uh, I can't recall it been too it, long. It been out, but
0: it's, it's one of those cities. It's right one of
1: the ones right there anyway. The exact uh, one doesn't matter for the moment.
0: He is unstoppable, and he he shows up in one of the actual big cities, and he makes it into the center of the city where there is a sacred site to the Lady of the Lake. Where suddenly he gets enshrouded by a mist, and Orion gets cut off from all of his little forces, and a figure. Uh, that others see. So this isn't from Orion's perspective. This is from his like honor guards perspective. They see a woman, a, a womanly figure appear in the mist and speak with Orion. And they have a very hushed conversation that lasts literally like two or three minutes. And then Orion, having been enraged, bloodlusted, lost his fucking mind. He looks very different all of a sudden. He looks haunted. He turns around. He goes all the way back to Ethel Lauren. And he literally commits suicide. Uh, He walks under the pyre and burns himself very, very early.
1: And there is one goddess that this matches directly in the Elven Pantheon, but we'll get to that.
0: Yeah. So um, we have a god who she has an agenda, which I agree with Andy very much that protecting Athel Lauren is a key part of that agenda. But what I have to really reiterate, because a lot of people get this messed up, is that does not mean protecting the elves, per
1: se. 100%. So um, I, I can't express how much I agree with this. Um, she is a god that is interested in protecting the Bretonians and everything that they offer that allows other things to be protected. Um, that does not mean that she in any way protects the elves, the Azrai, or is in a direct alliance with the Azrai. That also doesn't mean that she's not going to protect Atheloran. Atheloran is important. Atheloran is super important, in fact. Way more important than many of the books realize um, when people are quite willing to destroy bits without any real awareness of exactly what that means. Um, so Atheloran is arguably the important part. Individual elves might be the important part. The Batonian are also important part. But it, it's not an extension of Atheloran. It is something that is separate to and sympathetic towards Athel
0: If anything, I would heavily argue that the Lady of the Lake is a goddess who saw the job the Azrae were doing and looked at it and went, they're not good enough.
1: Yeah. Or they might fail. Um, and arguably, they had failed in that Athel very possibly could have fallen before Gilles, the Uniter came along and pretty much saved their ass from the enormous amount of troubles that were wandering around the world at that point. The Greenskins almost certainly were going to take the place, but they didn't because the Bretonians saved their ass.
0: Yeah, and there's a really interesting number of points where a lot of people know the Wood Elf perspective because the Wood Elves were lucky enough to keep get, get, getting expanded lore, and bretonian unfortunately didn't. But nope. the Wood Elves, a lot of people, Bretonia was kind of the punching bag for a lot of factions, uh, especially because they didn't get their own book, which allowed them to have their own perspective. Um, but the Wood Elves, a lot of people go, oh, well, the Bretonians are just being manipulated by the Wood Elves into being their shield, and they're just human slaves or human puppets, and they're being manipulated, and the Wood Elves are benefiting, and yada, 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 yada. and it's just not true. That's not their relationship. Yeah, no. Nah. Do the wood elves think that's what their relationship is? I think that's much more fair to argue. I think there are a lot of elves, make, are very much Ariel and Orion, who view Bretonia as a speed bump. You know, they yeah. view it as something to slow down a problem that's rushing towards them.
1: It's exactly how the Eonir perceived the empire. In many respects, it's how the empire perceived Kislev. Everyone that stands before. Uh, between you and an enemy is going to be seen as a potential buffer. Um, And Bretonia makes a marvellous buffer, particularly given just how um, strongly they adhere to a set of rules that makes it much less likely that they are going to fall to the depredations of the ruinous powers. They are almost a perfect speed bump in many ways. And for many elves who look on, they'll be pretty delighted that they're there in the first place while simultaneously having nothing but. Utter disrespect and contempt for them because they're they're Azrai and the Azrai are not necessarily the nicest folk. Yep.
0: Yeah. so that leads us to the really important part of this discussion where Andy's going to go on a little big thing here, which is that there is a character because that one of the big mysteries always of Warhammer Fantasy is who is the lady, right? Yep there there are all these little tie ins various round. We know based on what we've talked about, she has a very strong elven allegiance. We know this is a god who has physically managed to manifest in the world, which is really important because there was a time period where gods could theoretically kind of get away from get away with that, and then the whole chaos incursion shit happened and the gates got sealed and the vortex sucked magic out of the world and mm-hmm. shit got really messy and from that point on for a god to manifest took takes really specific circumstances, but the lady cheats that system. Which she uniquely alone is doing. The Great Horn rat wants to show up. There has to be a giant fuck-off ritual. Or Ariel Mm. and Orion want to show up, they have to have mortal incarnations they can possess functionally. Like other gods want to show up, they have to like there has to be a priest that does this really big thing and they can possess him for a couple seconds or else they're gonna like fry his brains. But the lady, no, she'll show up herself. Even Lilaith, Lilaith, I want to tackle Lilaith real quick of how do I know Lilaith is not the, the lady? Because Leleith shows up in dreams because Lilayeth knows she can't violate that rule. She's in the realm of the gods and she obeys assurance rules technically, but she gets around her father's rules by going through dreams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You figured it out, CB4N! (laughs) So I can cr- 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 I mean, uh, what do you want to see that cr- one, Crack cr- of cr- piece of
0: shit. Cr- Anyway, so we have this. <laughs> we have like Layeth, She shows up to Alithar through, through dreams and visions. She shows up to Aerla through dreams and visions. She doesn't show up physically. She shows up in using another system that's very very clever. And Leith is a super badass and awesome character. And her relationship with Erloth is important. Her relationship with the Lithanar is super important. Her relationship with Teklis is important.
1: Yep. But she All is not things. a lady. Lelayeth is a fucking great character. And a character that has, um in more than one place, a legitimate family tree. Where she comes from and who she is. Lelayeth most certainly isn't the Queen of the Gods, arguably, depending upon how one wants to look at it, but one god in the Elven Pantheon who was a lover of Azurin, the judge who sat above all the gods. The Emperor of the Heavens. Black and white, the Emperor of Heavens. When the Emperor of Heavens laid judgment upon the gods during the Great Cataclysm and said that the gods would no longer be allowed to walk the earth again. Ever ever, including himself. He would not return, although he does find a way to break that later with an Aryan. We'll worry about that later. There is no coming back, except for one. His lover, arguably his wife, Ladriel. The goddess of lost things, the goddess of wandering from place to place, the goddess of shadows, the goddess of mist, the goddess of persuading Azurin to let her stay. And why? Now, the stories around Ladriel are very small. There's a few here and a few there because she is, by her very nature, the goddess of mysteries. The goddess who is responsible for doing something so enormously important that Azurin went, you know what? Yeah, good point. You can do it, but there's going to have to be rules. Oh, hey, Jonathan, let me just pull this one up there. Which character characters... Oh, do you of gods (laughs) you think are the most likely to doff a
0: fedora and say it would be Nurgle? Nurgle would do that in a heartbeat.
1: (laughs) Like, look at him. Oh oh, oh, oh. Um, we have uh uh, not just a clear character to fulfill the role of the lady, literally. Oh, I didn't see the cheer there.
0: Uh the other gods of God's once have a present, super expensive rituals might listen. Help Lady the Lake wants to pick her pog champs, apply prayer, and be chivalrous. Sounds like a skill issue with the other gods, (laughs) yeah. But Listen to why.
1: <clears throat> so we have one God who is positioned as an elf God who is not only given dispensation to wander the world, but definitely does. Definitely. That's the whole point of this goddess. And when we look at what happens with the Bretonians, they have been given a host of unique powers like the elves. The God that's working with them, is working on the same way that the elves view magic, that the elves treat magic. The elves believe magic is a gift from the gods, and the gods taught them how to manipulate and use it because the elves themselves were safe. The elves, however, believe that mortality, mortal humans cannot use magic safely because they are going to be open to corruption. It turns out so does the lady. The lady thinks exactly the same thing. She takes in all of the children, who can use magic. She lets some of them back. The ones that she determines are actually safe. She doesn't let them all back. She only lets some back. And it's only the women because the men, by their very nature, are more likely to turn to aggression, more likely to potentially fall to one of the dark gods. So she keeps them as a potential weapon for later, outside time and space, because she's a literal fucking god. She lives in another world. She lives in another realm entirely, and she can wander where she wishes. All of the things that the lady does match the character of Ladriel. Orion is lost, completely lost. She is the goddess of lost things. She finds things which cannot be found. She goes and speaks to Orion, and she says, hey, dude, you've lost it, man. This is what you should be doing. And Orion recognizes the lady for what the lady is. Ladriel, the patron goddess of exactly what's up with him as he goes, yeah, fair enough Uh, okay, I'll go do what I should do off goes Orion Um, cut a long story short because of where we are with the time Um, Ladriel matches every single one of the character traits of the lady bar one everything that she orders humanity to do match Ladriel's entire character bar one and that's that she's also the goddess of wanderlust, of moving from one place to the next, until you start looking at it a bit more deeply and going, what you mean? Questing knights? Yeah. Oh, you mean questing knights? And they have to try and find her wherever she may be, because she's constantly on the move. And it's only those who show themselves to be pure of heart, who most certainly are never going to fall to the depredations of the dark gods. The very reason that she's here, she was set to the mortal plane because of the arrival of chaos to stop them along comes those few pure of hearted humans who can find her as she wanders from place to place to place she is still wandering as she always did and she when she finds those who are pure of heart grants them extraordinary power with her chalice now is ladriel the lady of the lake officially no but officially, yes, because they sort of merged it all together into one big Lilayeth mess. Um, but would it make sense for her to be Ladriel? Yes. Does it match the background as presented? Yes. Does it match her character? Yes. Does it make sense of Morgiana Fey being an elf and possibly using illusions to not appear as an elf and to appear human? Yes. Does it make sense of all of the things the Grail Knights can do? Yes. Does it make sense of teaching magic rather than blessings to an ephemeral god that sits on the outside? Absolutely. Yes. In fact, every single last one of the various things, the uh, Ladriel stroke, the lady, whatever you wish to call it, even Lady Ladriel. Fuck me. The whole thing makes sense. Yeah, It's I 100% sensible. And it also makes sense for the relationship that she has with Athel Lauren. She recognizes the importance of Athaloran. She wandered the world and saw how important Athaloran was to the Warhammer's survive, Warhammer world's survival at the end of times. She recognizes that and realized she had to defend it. The elves that were there defending it and the gods themselves that had moved in in an attempt to defend it too through their avatars, something that was allowed to happen because Ara- pardon me, Azurin himself had broken those rules and moved in and said there is a loophole and others followed suit not long after and went, you're right. There's a loophole I <laughs> mean then try to protect Alpha Lauren. She's literally there protecting the roots of the world. She's yeah. got the Bretonians to do it for her. She's the lady. I wanna
0: correct one thing Andy said, which is that canonically, Andy's she is Ladriel. That's 100 yeah. percent canon. Ladies, Ladriel. Yeah, yeah. What they did that doesn't make any fucking sense is that Ladriel's then revealed to be Lilith. Lilith <laughs> <laughs> is literally her mom. <laughs> it makes no sense Um, at all yeah Um, uh, a couple other things that i want to point out as just brain thoughts for people uh because uh, if we're going to get into questions we're going to need to start doing that soon um but a couple brain bugs i want to throw into the audience and maybe even andy uh because they're fun to chew on which is that Mm -hmm. a um when she came to the mortal plane like andy was saying there had to be a caveat there had to be a binding there had to be a rule and the rule seems to very much be that the lady was bound to the land of Bretonia itself long before the Breton tribes got there.
1: Maybe even before the elves got there. The evidence of the lady of the lake being in the area since the beginning of time is definitely there. Yeah. So we have a goddess who is bound to a
0: particular landmass, which we see is not necessarily super uncommon with the same thing with the ancient widow, which who is bound into the land of Kislev. Yeah. And there very well could be, and you know, we talked about in uh, I forget which stream it was actually. Uh, oh, it was I think it was the the Hag stream about the ancient widow and perhaps a relationship between her and the Widowmaker, the Sword of Cain, uh, okay. and the the Alvin Pantheon. Which the fact that her and Ladriel have a similar system, I don't think is necessarily coincidence. Um, but furthermore, um, the Lady of the Lake. One of the things I find the most fascinating is that the Lauren is right fucking there. Elves for hundreds of years lived in Bertonia, and yet she did not go to them. She went Mm -hmm. to men, humans, above elves, which suggests something fucking fascinating. That Ladriel, despite being what we, you know, always consider an elven god, looked at the elves and said, they are not suitable for the purpose I have.
1: Yeah. Um, I I would go slightly further, and I would say that this is one of the clear moments where people, there is a a segment of the fan base that don't like conflating gods. There's a segment of the writing base that don't like conflating gods. Um, They like Cain to be separate from Cain, for example. So that's Cain, the god of murder of the old world being separate from Caelan, Cain, the god of war with the elves. Um, And I think there's a pretty clear example here showing that there is a hierarchy among the gods and gods do exist and that the gods are much more universal than may first appear. Ladriel did indeed, assuming Ladriel is the correct term to use, choose the Bretonians for this purpose. You could argue that's because there were other gods at hand inside the deep wood dealing with Loren directly um, with their avatars as time went by. That's one argument you could take. There's a variety of other arguments you could take as well. But I think what's clear is Ladriel chose humans. Ladriel is the lady. Um, and that means that Ladriel is not an elven god. Ladriel's a god. Let's make that clear. This is one of the big mistakes people take when they look at Bretonia and they say, oh, it's just, you know, the elves using them. No. Ladriel is a god and it's the god of Bretonia, not the god of the fucking elves. The yeah. elves may recognize Ladriel as one of their gods in their pantheon, in their Mandela. That is one of the gods that are around there. The lady is the goddess of Bretonia and is working through Bretonia to enact her will. You could argue that of all the various Warhammer worlds that are out there, it's the truest theocracy with a god at the top controlling everything and a god that's so deeply anti-chaos that everything that she's doing is manifest in every single last rule that she's laid down. She's constantly wandering Bretonia like it's a cage, moving from edge to edge because she's the goddess of wanderlust. And she's going from place to place, occasionally stopping, hanging in one place for a bit when she's in the other realm, when she's lying in the places that sit beyond that cuspy realm like the Light College over in the Empire. Something that lies beyond simply reality. Time itself doesn't really mean anything to her because she's a goddess. And the only way to find her is to pursue her as she goes from place to place. Which misty grove will she be in this week? Who knows? Off go the questing nights. And sometimes, contrary to... Um, some of our suggestions, she's found outside Brittonia, rarely, but sometimes because some questing knights go out beyond and find her in an unexpected place um, and she's there and they fall in, now you could argue that they fall through a lake or a misty area or a bog and move themselves back to Brittonia and then come out of a forest into bretonia there's lots of arguments you could take, but loosely speaking she's a god yep. and bretonia has its own god Now, just because the elves happen to worship her too, or at least recognize that she exists, in no way says that Bretonnia has an elven god. They don't. They They simply have a fucking god.
0: And that, that's the most important thing to say. So if you're ever, if you're a Bretonnia fan and you get, and someone's like, haha, you worship an elf, you can give them whatever the protonian version of the double bird is because they're wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is worth saying that she's got a strong association with elves. So I do think that Morgiana Lafay being an elf absolutely makes sense. An elf who is dedicated to the Ladriel.
0: 100% makes sense. It it makes sense of who taught the humans of the empire to use magic—an elf. Who teaches the humans of the Bretonnia to use magic—an elf. But she doesn't have like a whole cavalcade of of elves. There's one. He has, and that's—I will say—that makes Morgiana super fucking interesting. What was this? What was it about Morgiana where she was the one and only elf that the Lady of the Lake was willing to like rely on? She's the only one. There are no other, and that's what's fascinating. It's like, Athel Loren, you'd think, oh, if she was an elven god, she'd chat with them all the time, or she'd hold court with Orion and Ariel. She doesn't. She totally fucking ignores them. She only gets yep. involved when they fuck up and she has to clean up their mess.
1: Yeah. Goddess of lost things, not the goddess of chatting with wood elves.
0: Uh Godzilla, I bet many of the gods are jealous of the lady in Hatchet since they could break the rules. Uh Most have to follow. Also, Andy should watch Godzilla Minus One. I need to go see that. You're I right, I I haven't watched
1: it yet. Um, And also, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that Hashut's wandering around in the same way the Ladriel is. I don't think Hashut in any way breaks any rules. Um, I think Hashut in particular um, is as bound as the rest of them, unless, of course, we take the angle that Hashut, much as we suggested in a previous stream, is in fact a demon prince. That being the case, different rules apply. Um, Very different rules apply. It's like a minus one, so to speak.
0: Yeah, uh, but I, I would agree that many other gods would not like the lady and the and that she is doing things that they're not supposed to be doing or I mean, things they want to do and can't.
1: Isha would be freaking fucking pissed because as far as she's concerned, her kids, the elves are out there fending for themselves. Yep. Holy shit, it sucks. Also... Yeah. That what makes that really really
0: fun, and they kind of explored an eighth edition, which I like, but I wish we'd gotten more of, is that would actually make Morgar a particularly fucking terrifying threat to Ladriel in yeah, particular. Cool. Yeah. Because yeah cool. He he he's literally the devourer of gods, like he's he's a fucking spooky character. Anyway, Hammond, hey clearly the lady ladriel uh, have an Alabama relationship with Erloth. I know I don't understand why you keep trying to that would be it would be if Aisha was screwing him. Not anyway, I'm moving on. Uh hey guys, work <laughs> as always. I'm wondering, are there any examples of peasants becoming grail knights? Yes, three have done it that are openly acknowledged. Uh the one that's super badass, but a grail knight.
1: Okay, I'm going to go further on this one. Um, I'm going so to say that all the lore died. that you hold dear to yourself um, as a Bretonian player is about to be rewritten, um, and relatively heavily. Yeah. as presented by the fifth and sixth edition of Warhammer, is a deeply misogynistic place, where women have a particular role and men have a particular role, and that's how it's laid out. And women may have positions of power and ultimately are responsible for orchestrating the politics of Britonia, where the men are responsible for actually doing it, so to speak. Nevertheless, there is some real problems in terms of who can and can't be a knight in a way that makes literally no sense yeah, for a world not, where God-speaking exists. Anyone could drink from that grail. doesn't yeah. matter who you are. And if you drink from that grail, you are going to be fucking astonishingly powerful. It doesn't matter if you've got a slightly bigger muscle in one of your arms or not. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or what might hang between your legs. This is a magical realm, and that's already changed. Uh, the newest versions of the models that are coming from Betonia have now, knights knights, multiple sure. ones. At the front of the cover oh. for the new book as a big, huge female knight. There were the whole setting has significantly changed for Betonia <laughs> which means that we might see other small changes coming too. So be ready for that.
0: Yeah, the thing that the thing that doesn't make any fucking sense is how Raponts could have happened. And she she wasn't hiding, like she didn't pretend to be a guy, like she was openly a woman the entire time. She becomes the Duke of Leoness, like she's a huge fucking deal. And then nothing changed. Like what? Yeah,
1: literally (laughs) nothing changed. was mental. Um, that the woman of war repants, um, the damsel de la guerre or whatever they called her. Um, the the one woman who becomes a great Ah, nonsense. Um, that is something that I I don't just expect to be undermined and rewritten, particularly for a modern era. It it will be. It's it's one of the biggest issues Warhammer has as a whole and that's that it's so grounded in the real world sometimes that they forget it's not the real world and writers often forget this, they forget that gods and goddesses and all manner of crazy shit exists which empowers people equally, it doesn't matter where you came from, what your gender may be, how you express yourself or how you perceive yourself, It literally makes no difference. If the power is coming, the power is coming. Grail knights are as likely to be women as they are to be men because they're as likely to have a pure heart and as likely to appeal to the lady and Ladriel and not have magic, which would make them a damsel, as anyone else would. So I think this is something that, if it's not properly rebalanced, definitely should be.
0: Yeah, but uh, I will say, I don't recall there ever being a story of a peasant becoming a grail knight. Knight? It's happened only three times. Um, but Grail Knight, I don't recall. I don't believe, uh, Raponse did not ever sup from the Grail. I believe she technically was like, she reached like questing knight status and then she became a duke and she just stayed as a duke. Um, or duchess, I guess. Uh, oh, how, would the, uh, how would the Bretonians react if they found out her true identity is the Elven God? So, I'm gonna we, we're we we're really strict on time so I'm gonna say this. A, we already went over she's not really an Elven God. But, she's not an Elven God! Yeah, however, <laughs> what would the Bretonians do if they found out she was not what she presented herself as—that is the whole point of Malobad, Malobad, the Black Serpent, who is—is is, I'm gonna. The Laura is a kind of cheeky about it because they don't like to just reveal it, but he's the bastard son of Luin. Um, yeah. which really opens some really interesting doors that are never explained, but I really wish they were. Um, but Malobod uh is like a super big badass, everybody likes him, he's super kick-ass, he wants to be just like his dad. He goes out, he does the questing, uh, like he does the quest, he becomes a, he's awesome. He finds the grail, he meets the lady and he drinks from it, but he doesn't become a grail knight. Something weird happens. He doesn't die because supposedly if you drink from the grail, only one or two things will happen. If your heart is pure, you become a grail knight. If your heart is not pure, you instantly die. But he didn't. Instead, when he drank from it, he looked up at the lady and he saw her for what she really was, is the way it's worded. And he was enraged. He felt betrayed and he emerged from the forest of Arden, I think is where he was. Uh, no, no, he was a Musion. Actually, he he emerged from uh, just a, a forest just outside Musion, and he was raving about how Britonia had been used, Britonia had been manipulated. The lady wasn't what she said she was, and that he needed to save his people from this liar, this monster that was abusing them in their faith. And he literally goes on a war to abolish the worship of the lady because he believes that she is something sinister,
1: evil, and manipulative. And she is. Let's be blunt. Ladriel is the goddess of lies. That's not often discussed, but she is. She will say anything that needs to be said to get the outcome that she wants. So he's not wrong. While simultaneously, he's 100% wrong. because. She is their god, she has laid out their rules, and who is he to fucking judge why she made those rules in the first place? She made them for what she perceives to be very good reasons, and he is basically arrogant and putting himself above the goddess that he perceives to be doing something wrong. In this case, she is actually doing the right thing, objectively and honestly and clearly, while simultaneously using lies and mist and shadows to achieve those outcomes. Her great curse, you could argue, is that she is the goddess of lies because it's a necessary component of what she's doing. And thus, ultimately, any who know her will never truly trust her. That being the case, it's a perfect outcome. Lovely story, works really well. But on this one, how would the Petronians react if they find out her true identity as an elven god? I don't think they would. They just simply wouldn't believe it. They have so much faith, they're so certain, and they're right in their certainty because the goddess that she is fully supports them. Everything that anyone could try and bring to the table to say, look, she's a liar. It's just bullshit. She's not. She's seeing through her promise. Her covenant with the Bretonian people is consistently applied. She is 100% above board for all everything she does is a lie. It's a perfect, lovely little counterbalancing on either side. She's a great character. And that's one of the reasons why I got rather annoyed with the end times because it undermined a really beautiful story that was just waiting. that was sitting there pregnant and plump, a huge piece of fruit to just pluck from that tree of storytelling. And they went, I'm going to ignore that one, and I'm going to go over here and just make up something completely different that makes no sense with all the rest of the stories established. And you're just left going, oh well, there we go. The only
0: thing I'll say in defense of that writing is poor Ladriel, like, nobody wrote about her after like, fifth edition really yeah pretty like, much six and seven she was kind of non-existent so like i kind of i feel for the writers in the end times who especially if they were younger individuals which they were um who had not been in the warhammer fantasy world as long probably genuinely didn't know what Lilith was supposed to be um but anyway
1: <sighs> uh, that's kind of right. is there all. any supposed to be it's whoever is yeah. writing it on the day
0: <laughs> i i deny that i think there's plenty of evidence to suggest there's a supposed to be answer but anyway you're yeah,
1: probably right <laughs>
0: fuck, off with, fuck off with your meta nonsense of oh it's whatever the writer says no bullshit uh, <laughs> anyway so um i will say um the uh, counter only nobles normally get the training that lets them prove themselves normally that that is kind of the key thing if peasants went out and were seeking to earn the lady's favor and fought they could can get her attention that's debatably how Rapunce did Rapunce got her attention by leading a a pure life a noble life which shows that peasants can get her attention but the nobility of Vertonia tells them they can't so a lot of them don't try
1: Yeah, I think this is a super important one because um, it actually speaks to the social engineering that Ladriel put in place. And the social engineering was um, everyone needs to work towards the greater whole. It's super socialist. Um, In that all the peasants are fueling those who are in power. Those who are in power are protecting the peasants and those who are in power in a position to earn greater. The purest of them will become the Grail Knights. Um, That doesn't mean that peasants can't do those things. It just means that peasants are far, far less likely to be in a position for that ever to occur because they've got an equally important job and that's working the fields. Arguably the most important job, they're feeding everyone. (laughs) Um, Now, does that mean you won't get lots of bad nobles who abuse that? Absolutely not. It's a world where you don't just have bad people. Humans by their nature can often be pretty bad, as I'm sure we'll all recognize. But this is also a world where we have actual chaos, where there are people attempting to not just do active evil, for want of a better word, but to try and corrupt people on all sides. And the whole setup, the whole network of the ladies' worship is designed to mitigate for that and try to bring it down so it doesn't happen. And looking beyond your borders and saying, I wish I had that, is a classic example of Zinch corruption, the lord of change. So there will be less of it, and I agree that we're in a position where it's much less likely peasants could, but I also think that the lady herself, by her very nature, would recognize a pure soul no matter where it lay. Yep. Bromo Baggins, thanks for the sweet message. We appreciate it. Thank you oh, for super watching. Super nice. Thanks very much.
0: Uh er Given how the sister sisterhood seems to have infiltrated both Britonia and the Empire, there are there any stories of the lady interacting combating vampire influence? Oh my god, is there? Uh the undead uh we, we kind of talked about it earlier. <laughs> oh. Bretonia has honestly more of an undead problem than the Empire does. There's yes, <laughs> a fuck ton of vampire problems. The Blood Dragons and the Lamians are the two big ones. There's a ton of Lamian baddies. There's a ton of Blood Dragon baddies. And the lady does not like vampires. She does yeah. not like them at all. Uh, they are one of the biggest consistent threats to Bretonnia. Uh, especially because the Blood Dragons in particular are such a parasite flip on the concept of chivalry uh, because they they live by a code of honor but it's a really warped and twisted one that puts martial pursuit above purism and nobility and it shows how awful someone can become if all they care about is being like the ultimate warrior as opposed to you know the concept of you've ever read like old arthurian poems there's one about king arthur going on about the concept of might makes right versus might should fight for what's right. The blood dragons are that ultimate expression of might makes right. Being the strongest is what matters most, where the lady argues that if you're powerful, it is your responsibility to protect those who are less powerful. So they fight, for, they're, they're two very distinct knightly codes, and one of them's very warped and twisted, which is yeah, blood I, dragons.
1: And one's dangerous, particularly because in the core anti-chaos message that Bretonia stands for.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh my god, so many super chats, guys. A-
1: uh, so a god as a trickery lies, found a way to be good, and weirdly enough, multi-magic humans, which are in the face of elves, agreed. A god, not a race-limited race one. I Yeah, I bro- broadly speaking completely agree. The amount of extraordinary deeds that she's capable of make it quite clear that she is not just simply a uh, Bretonian god, and with all the background that we have, she's a goddess that has a host of spheres that are re- recognized by other species too. Um, there are multiple gods that follow her let's say, raison d'etre as a god of lies, cunning, trickery at et al. I think she's certainly a goddess that others have worshipped in different ways.
0: Yep, Andy's almost a 5k subs. He's getting less than a thousand to go. He's really fucking close. <laughs>
1: Um, oh no! I think we should take you just a brief moment to say, uh, if you are sitting here at the moment watching on Twitch or on YouTube, you are on the Lord Master of Sotec's channels, and we know for a fact that not all of you have subscribed. I would just like to say, what a fire upon thee! <laughs> Press that subscribe button. Got, the Lord Master of Sotec needs your subscription. Wrap it up, Andy.
0: We got questions to answer. <laughs> Wrap it up. Uh, yeah, please, please subscribe. To subscribe. In the please, 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 I really am excited to do Quick so get Andy to 5k so i can do it please thank you uh does andy hate gelt uh, as much as te- Sotek hates techless riding a phoenix we don't have time to talk about that right now um <laughs> we, we <laughs> don't have time to talk about that right now um so moving on you, hate,
1: um, you really hate techless riding a phoenix isn't that
0: yes it makes me infuriated because his whole thing is that he's weak and frail and they put him on a fucking monster mount, which ruins the whole point of the fucking character anyway moving on um so the 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 big thing with ladrill that I find really interesting. I do want to touch really quick on Malobod one last time because Malobod has a fucking awesome story. I'd love to do a stream dedicated purely to him at some point. But one so. of the things one of the things that's really interesting is that Malobod, if you really look into him, is a character who I would argue very well is a man who has a gift for magic that has not been fully realized yet, and he got missed. And when he drank from the Grail, that allowed for him to have a very unique interaction with it which allowed him to see through it but the thing i really love about it is if you listen to everything that andy talks about ladriel or the lady of the lake comes off very much as a goddess who is ultimately trying to do the right thing but runs by a very ends justify the means from a very god perspective of like there are a lot of horrible small sacrifices and things that must be done in order to defeat chaos or hold chaos at bay that a human would look at and we would go, that's unacceptable. Like even for mm. defeating chaos, that is unacceptable. It, we, this cannot be the right way. There has to be another way. Malobod is that character, which is what makes him so fucking good, is that he is a character that sees it for what it really is, but he misses the forest for the trees. He sees the atrocities on a human level through human emotions and a human spectrum. And he goes, this is evil. You are evil without the lady really being able to explain to him what she's trying to do from a God perspective. And granted, even if she did, he might still disagree with it because humans are stubborn. And yep. you know, there are a lot of humans that say, well, it would be better for us to die than to do this. Uh, but yep. the irony with Malabod that I love so much about him is that he becomes what he hates in the lady and that he turns to darker forces to try and do the right thing no matter the cost to the point that he even starts relying on vampires and necromancers and bandits and renegade knights, which is so fucking perfect. Uh, he yep. is literally one of my favorite, like, uh, David to, like, if the lady is kind of Goliath, he's he's created in her image, but in the worst possible way, which is, mwah, oh, so good. Anyway, sorry, moving on.
1: What happened when Malibor tried to kill the lady? He went into the fog and missed.
0: Oh, my God. I don't want to do lowerbeards anymore. This is last season. <laughs> uh oh yes okay so uh 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 total war changes for bretonian and how the lady works in total war warhammer three i really 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 like where is at overall in total war warhammer three there are a couple of big things i'd like to change though one the green knight should be able to show up anywhere like his army ability should be you activate him and then any battle you go into you summon him and he just comes riding out of a like a cool forest effect because that's how he works is that he literally just shows up anywhere and everywhere uh, he shouldn't be a hero that attaches to an army and he's just kind of there before he leaves,
1: which is weird. That's bullshit.
0: Yeah. Um, it was a limitations of the Warhammer one engine. They could do better now. They should do better now. The second thing is they should add more units. Uh, the sons of Britonia would be super fucking badass. They are literally magically gifted, Uh, kind of like Grail Knight level fighters that wield like tridents and crescent uh harpoon type looking things. And they ride Kelpies. Fucking awesome. Give them to me. Awesome high tier heavy cavalry in it. Also truffle hounds, uh truf- truffle hounds are awesome. They're super fucking terrifying also in the lore they're hilarious because as they're not trained to do this as an instinct, they attack the nuts of anything they fight. Like person, beastman, they go for your nards. They're terrifying.
1: <clears throat> Gary, absolutely correct. Everyone subscribe to lore Master's channel now for all the lore.
0: Now really please subscribe to the Lawhammer channel so I can release some good lore.
1: Yeah, obviously that too. <laughs> Run a 12-hour stream. Maybe we could do that for charity one day or something similar because you know I have done 24-hour events once, but I chose to do that Yeah. 12 oh, hours. yeah. Imagine uh, hours and then the last more. few
0: things is the faceless slash So like really hardcore scout archers, especially uh if they ever wanted to do uh the Robin Hood guy in uh Warhammer whose name I'm blinking on Bertrand the Brigand. Super Bertrand fun character. He's awesome. Um but uh, yeah, that's what I would do for Britonia for the most part. Like systems wise, I think they're really fine, to be honest. Um, but I, I would just add more things to their faction and tweak the green knight a bit and maybe add like another couple legendary heroes, or legendary lords, and you're good to go. Uh, also, though, uh, a feature for them that like taps more into their relationship with Shalia would be cool. They have a really big Shalia thing.
1: Yeah, um, they do. And it's a shame that it's not really done, particularly because Shally also has a chalice. I was intending to, to actually writing towards that in some of the Bretonium material that I had planned, but sadly, never did. Yeah, there's um, hilarious... yes. Oh, go ahead. Hey, holy artist, the Green Knight is the best herb vendor in Warhammer. <laughs> nice. Um, and Commander Bonn... Bretonians have so much stuff in lore and other wild fantasy battle media that they could get a really big DLC. I'd love to see the, hem- uh, the herimals and uh, the Bretonians go- doing their whole Robin Hood thing. I was never a huge fan of the herimals. I didn't hate them, but not a huge fan. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's all sorts of outlaw stuff that they could do.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I always love the Bertrand the Brigand thing of like a group of people who are hunting knights that are not chivalrous, like lords that take advantage of people, uh, but hunting and trying to kill them. Jesus. Yeah, we're, hi from a here. third of
1: the War- Lawhammer cast. Apparently, they're out there partying right now. And if you didn't know, I'm meant to be at a party relatively soon. Um, I mentioned that at the beginning of the stream. Already out partying because Lawhammer party tonight. Come join us soon, Andy. I will be there soon-ish-ish. We have a bit to go yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna try
0: and blast through Discord questions now. Because um,
1: while uh, takes grabbing the questions, oh, I would Sage like is to... in Twitch. Hi, Sage. Oh, it's Sage and this. Hey, There's Sage. Uh, hello, Sage. <laughs> um ghost. Uh, I would like to say, having said already that you should go and subscribe to Lore Master of Sotek, you should also go find me, do Law Hammer on some Google engine, and subscribe to every freaking channel you can find because we do this for the love of the lore, but we also like to eat. Yes,
0: please. So <laughs> also Quick at 5k, and we're less than a thousand away. Quick at yeah, 5K totally. quick, coming soon. Looking forward to that one. All right, uh, real quick, just blasting through these. Um, uh, Infiltrator Choice: says, the Lady of the Lake has appeared at multiple lakes. Why is she
1: called the Lady of the Lake as opposed, opposed to the Lady of Lakes? <laughs> because she was associated with an individual lake right at the beginning with Gilles Le Breton, and she has expanded from that. But she was the Lady of the Lake at the first instance, and that was this. Just- repeated afterwards. Should Bretonnia have naiads as a unit type? Yes, yes, naiads absolutely should
0: be a unit. Yeah, Um,
1: I think that strongly leaning into the extra benefits that uh, Ladriel could potentially bring should be done. And there's a host of other creatures like uh, water lions and various other things that have been dropped in the lore in various books and novels, all of which could make for some really fun spiritual backup for the Bretonians.
0: Uh, if one god assumes a guise and pretends to be a non-existent god and this new god then gets enough worship, could that false entity become an actual independent god in its own right? That is a very metaphysical question. <laughs>
1: okay so there's a really deep question here as to the nature of gods and what they are in the warhammer world and if you simply stick with belief gives you god then you're going to fall into those sorts of traps that however is not the case in the warhammer world that's just one aspect of how gods and spirits from the aether from the immaterium from whatever you want to call the empyrean or whatever lies beyond can be created the answer to that is it's super complicated not simple we'd need a stream
0: yeah it's it's a fucking like huge mess uh there's even like a note of thing entities that have tried to do flood that and it, it, it never works out
1: <laughs> yeah we do need more flood, protections. Yeah, so flood protection so much money fix right. our fucking house uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> we, need, we need to put y'all on floaties uh who wouldn't fight a grill knight or a basic blueberry space marine i don't That's know enough good question i don't know enough about space marines to feel confident answering that question i do
1: um, and I would happily say that it's a very good question. It would depend upon a variety of circumstances. Space marines are fucking mental. Another um, no way of putting it. But then Grail Knights are truly, truly awesome. I think under normal circumstance, the Grail Knight would almost certainly have the benefit. Because you can go, oh, he's coming in armor. Yeah, he's got a magic sword that almost certainly goes straight through it. But it depends on the knight in general and the weaponry that they're equipped with. I would say it's a complicated question, and it would probably be fun to answer it.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, there's a whole thing I'd like to do one day of like 40k fantasy Hi! interactions, but uh, <laughs> just just because like like just just to put it very simply, you have to keep in mind that like gods manifest to help out so easily in fantasy compared to 40k. It's ridiculous. Of like space, ring going, ha I have a vulture, pew pew pew, and the lady's like, yeah, nah, fuck that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All the bolts just go into the mess and disappear. And then the knight comes out of the mess going, for the lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Plus, I mean,
0: who doesn't want a piece of artwork of like a six foot five grail knight impaling like a nine foot whatever bullshit space rain through the head? Like he's killing some horrible mutant monster
1: because that's what they We're are. Like they're the tradition mutants. picture of the Norse um, champion being taken on by uh, yeah. The Duke of is the Duke of remember Bastos? everyone,
0: space marines are not humans; they're horrible mutant abominations created by an eldritch, <laughs> cruel god who is awful.
1: Commander Bond says naiad should be a type of hero unit. Bonus if they can switch between an elfish form and an actual war form. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Both forms having ups and downs. Indeed, I added Naiads to fantasy roleplay to um, try and push that sort of agenda, um, given just how much focus have been given on just the um versions of the spirits. There are lots of different types of spirits in the Warhammer world, and many of them would be coming to war come the end times or any equivalent, which is very much what Total War is representing. Yeah,
0: I would personally disagree vehemently just because I consider naiads on the same tier as like Sirens and Dryads and other such spirits, which means they should be a unit tier. If you want to create a, yeah. a
1: champion- Oh, did you say hero unit? Yeah, no, he said hero. agreed. No, I, I, I hear the unit and I immediately think of a bunch of things. I agree. It should be um, a group- yeah, uh,
0: if the lady of the goddess of the nobility, and mermidia is the, the noble goddess. How do they view each other slash interact? We don't oh god, there there's actually really interesting little tidbits sewn throughout like the Knights of the Grail book about the recent encroachment of Mermidia's cult into Britonia and it interacting with the Lady of the Lakes uh uh cult. There is a really interesting relationship there that is not very well explored.
1: I agree. Um, And the largest part of this is any weakening of the ladies' worship is a weakening of Ladriel's plan. And Ladriel's plan is clearly a good one, but that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be influence from outside entities, all of which could be seen to be helping the dark gods by doing so, which is super fun Um, because that's not the intent. And that just makes for an interesting setting. So, yeah. Jake, you joke, but uh, that piece of fan art
0: out there that's like super well made of the Emperor fighting Sigmar looks fucking incredible, and it makes it shows how Sigmar is truly the hero and the Emperor is a monster. Uh, anyway, because yeah, he True. literally just looks like a goofy Chaos Champion about to get smacked with Um uh, <laughs> If the uh, if the lady was manipulating the Bretonians into being a buffer state for Athaloran, can we assume there are many threats on that particular border, or is it to place a barrier between the Elves and the Fishmen? Obviously, it's about the Fishmen. Clearly.
1: As we've noted, it's much more complicated than that alone. Yep. Um, they are not a buffer state for um, Athaloran, while simultaneously they do provide that benefit.
0: Yep. Uh, slightly off topic, but is a commonality for the Dukes to be Grail Knights or a requirement? Uh, actually, many of the Dukes are not Grail Knights because to become a Grail Knight, you have to become a Questing Knight, which means you have to give up all of your... give up everything your land your titles everything and go off on a quest that you may never come back from or may come back yeah, from you years. have
1: to emulate ladriel you have to emulate her and she wanders that's the whole point of her yeah. and you go from place to place to place and you discard everything that your previous life once was you become something new again total ladriel worship It's 100% ladriel shit yeah. And
0: it's that is not taken simply. Like everyone wants to do that, but you know, people are practical. They realize that I have to stay home. Like I don't have an heir, or my heir is too young, or like I have a land to rule. If I leave, my people are going to be vulnerable. Like Duke Albrecht of Bretonia uh, or uh, Bordelo is an excellent example of a guy who really desperately wants to go on the questing of uh, the quest, but he can't. He knows he can't because Bordelo would be too vulnerable. And yeah. he's, he's kind of resentful about the fact that he can't just up and go on it um, like others can because the way that he grew up, there was not an appropriate time for him to do that. And now he's kind of debatably too old to go do it. So like that that's a whole thing. Now, to become king, you have to be a girl knight.
1: Duke, no. King, yes. Have that fun... might be one of the few things Carl Franz has not done. No. I mean, Carl <laughs> Franz has done pretty much fucking everything in his time. He's interacted with Lewin
0: a lot. I think like a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, they've met quite a few times, but no, he's never met the lady. Um uh, yeah, as, no as hilarious as that would be. Uh, because yeah. Franz is of course the greatest statesman in the world.
1: <laughs> and of course he is. He he would he would completely persuade her right. Yeah. Oh uh, man.
0: Honestly, the fact that Carl Franz like, got to chat with Ariel and Orion and actually swung them on something is genuinely his biggest gold star he ever got in his life. <laughs> That's yeah. like the one time, that was like probably his biggest claim to fame as a legitimately good statesman was he actually got to talk to the Wood Elves. Uh, let's see. From what I've heard, the Bretney seem to be developing a feudalistic knightly society built around honor and chivalry prior to the lady entering the picture. Is the lady simply playing off with the Bretonia we're already developing to get Uh, into to get their worship if not why is her worship so exclusive when honor and chivalry exist elsewhere i would say she looked at what clay
1: she had to work with and she made it into the best version she could that yeah 100 she she looked at the um uh the province as it existed and went how can we make this work the end times are real we have to ensure that they can stave it off it seems pretty simple
0: uh, did the lady ever uh, come to favor Bretonians more than the elves over time? I would say yes. Um because anytime there's a conflict between the two, she sides with Bretonia like 9 times out of 10.
1: I would say it's probably more complicated than that alone. Favor after all, it's it's like trying you know what? to No, I would what say she place. do
0: does what's best for the land of Bretonia, not the Bretonians yeah. themselves.
1: Um yeah, she's she's a character of quite clear self-sacrifice. Um and that self-sacrifice is laced through in for example, what she asks of the questing knights, those who are going to effectively become her representatives. Um, so I think that self-sacrifice would be laid through on almost everything. She hasn't turned her back on the elves. She is definitely doing something else. Um, so I think the answer is probably it's complicated.
0: Yeah, I mean, to, to be like, because keep in mind, Orion, it's not unusual for him to lead the wild threat through Bretonia and she usually doesn't do anything about it, um, because that's just a natural thing that's going to happen. Um, It's a part of Athel Loren, and she knows that. Like, if she was purely Bretonian, you know, she'd be like, "Ah, we have to fight them. But no, she kind of lets Orion vent his
1: natural fury. Which is, speaking directly to this question. Sorry
0: if you answered this already, but does lady protect the Bretonians with the Wood Elves like Orion raid their lands? Ah, (laughs) uh, yeah, no. Uh, Sometimes she does, but not often. Uh, Because usually, the Wood Elves are usually pretty good about not raiding unless it's like the Wild Hunt, which is a very particular thing, and even the Wild Hunt doesn't always go into Britonia. It's actually pretty unusual for it to go in Britonia more than once every couple decades. Um, but uh, I'm going to
1: go about that a bit, uh, but only a bit, um, in that um, the Grail Knights in no way lose their abilities. If they have particular prayers that is going to enact a particular outcome, they come to pass, which means that the Lady is not not supporting them. And I know that's a cut double negative. Okay, but it, um, so she's it's not, not
0: a martial affair. Would yeah, yeah. Quite. It's not
1: like she's fun. turning up and saying, "Oi, stop!" Um, the children are squabbling, and she lets them squabble. Um, but those who represent her and do the things that she thinks are correct, she continues to support them in what they do because they are her representatives. So it's not that she doesn't specifically help, but she doesn't go out of her way to do so either
0: and, and it's worth noting there are ways to avoid the wild hunt it's not like you're guaranteed to die because the wild hunt has come out it follows certain tracks and tends to avoid major uh, settlements the one time where orion actually led the wild hunt to a full-on city and was being unjust he was going beyond his purpose the lady immediately stepped in and killed him or led him to his death what about loon and Eltharian? Altharian has a very interesting uh Altharian's relationship with Ladriel gets conflated in total war because they wanted to associate somebody with him, and there is maybe some suggestion that the miss alpha of Yvrus uh have some kind of relationship with Ladriel which is probably true there's probably a ritual okay. that they have from her um so there is there's is a relationship there but Altharian himself in the lore does not really have any relationship with Ladriel at all
1: it's more hey, I- I would even go as far to say even if it they did, um, even if it was someone that was um expressly selected by Ladriel, perhaps even an avatar of Ladriel, if such a thing exists, an avatar of Ladriel pops up and arrives in the good old lands of Bretonia they're going to get the same reaction that everyone else does because she's the freaking goddess of lies and lost things, not the goddess of allying with other people. She has got her own job to do and it's her job, not somebody else's. Now, might that mean that they might come along and make petitions if they could figure it all out? Sure, they might try, but I doubt they get a good response. She's a wanderer. She's all about isolation and doing her separate, individual goal, not about, you know, hanging around having a chat with her pals. So, yeah, she turned her back on her own husband, Azurin. Literally walked away from him. And Azurin, for all of his grief, allowed it to occur because of the yep. importance one presumes of what was happening.
0: And Altharian is the <clears throat> Among the High Elves, Altharian is the most speciesist. Altharian is insanely speciesist, and you can't blame him because everyone else, as far as he's concerned, the humans. No, I'm
1: aware are... of gary Just to be clear, there.
0: Yeah, no, they've uh, they've never met.
1: No, not that I can think of in any source I've um, read Al- lately. Altharian
0: does not leave ulthuan anymore. Never. No. Um, not in Lewin's lifetime.
1: Fucking hates everyone. You know, Altharian no. the Grim for a reason.
0: Yeah, he hates everybody except, like, Tyrion. That's literally it, because Tyrion's the defender and has proven himself. Hey, yeah, yes. <laughs> strange woman lying in paws distributing swords. Well, she distributed a banner, not a sword, so... And then later not- a crown. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she gave him a crown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, yeah. Uh, Thanks, if you said that in Britonia, someone would uh, declare you a heretic and you'd be burned at the stake. Uh, how can Bretonians put cans on their ships but don't use them in battle? Oh, that's actually we a great question. This. Um, fun thing about that is the laws of chivalry apply within reason, is kind of the funny part. Um, if you can't ride a horse across the ocean, which the Bretonians can't, then the laws of chivalry do not apply. Naval warfare is inherently unchivalrous from a Bretonian perspective.
1: The The real reason is because when the Bretonian ships were first created, (laughs) Bretonia didn't have any rules of chivalry, it didn't exist. So when Man of War was around, they created cannon-filled menaces, and then they created and recreated Bretonnia the model that we now know, and they went, oh, shit, we better make some justification." Yeah, big old shit. Yeah. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. so the weird the <laughs> weird explanation is that basically the bretonians really hate black powder because they view them as like an awful expression of unchivalrous warfare they're also if they're smart they probably realize that if they give the peasants guns and cannons that could be used against them very easily um it's probably not something that whereas a trebuchet and bows are very not good against knights um but uh yeah it's basically a religious thing yeah
1: think we'll see Bertrand LeBrigon make a resurgence. I think it's relatively likely at some point if you're talking about Total War. Yeah, especially because um, he's like a Robin Hood. It's a cart thing. sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah, very possibly. Um, you often find with these things, though, that there's a certain amount of user stats lying behind the, um, the scenes. And if not a lot of people are using Bretonians, you might find it might not happen for a while.
0: Yeah, uh all right, uh quickly moving on here. I uh can I talk about the physical place where the lady supposedly has her power that Morgor attacked her? Yeah, it was a silver spire we talked about earlier. Um yep. which like God Morgor, I got we I really want to do a stream on him. He's so fucking scary, but like in all and the Morgor best ways, good one. um I like Morgor. Are there any prayers or religious practices for the lady that are preached following grail chapels? Uh yes, sort, sort of. of not yeah. through priests, but yes, <laughs> they do pray. Um, yeah, for, there, are, there are a lot of prayers to the lady.
1: Yeah, and it's um, it's it's not very well detailed or very well handled because they'll say, for example, there's a Grail chapel and some Grails act, dambles act as nuns there. What do they do? They kind of don't really discuss what they do. They just kind of hang there doing. Stuff, there is there praying. is a,
0: there is a hilarious note that Grail knights at Grail chapels will give like little oratories every um uh like holiday. So like every equivalent of Sunday, um, but they're like really That's bad that. at it because they're not orators. <laughs> so, like, apparently they're known for rambling for, like, 30-plus minutes about random bullshit trying to say good things about the lady, which I
1: love. Um, yeah, I think it's something that um, needs a, a, a good retreatment, basically. Yeah. Someone needs to sit down and write it all out nice and clearly and pop that into a role book or equivalent. Is worshipping the Lady Noble exclusive? No. No, it is no. not. Um, absolutely not the peasantry worship the lady as much as the nobles and everybody has got their place within that particular order we discussed that earlier
0: yep uh what other gods of any kid bretonians worship uh bretonians uh have a lot of stuff going on with more shalia manan pretty much everybody but sigmar from like Sigmar is empire specific the rest of them though ulric is not really in bretonia um like at all um but granted they do not have winters like the empire does um But yeah, they pretty much have like the rest of the old gods. It's still a
1: polytheistic society. Um, just it's just the lady at the top. Um, not only at the top performs the vast majority of the functions that most people require uh, attention for. There, they uh, they have the lady to protect them from the gods. Is a good way of thinking of it.
0: Yep. Uh, what are the uh, they're there. Is the grail simply an Arthurian legend reference, or is there more of a Warhammer reason for its existence? Uh actually, okay, a great question. B the the meta answer is that yes, obviously, it's yeah, just right. straight, straight from Arthur. <laughs> but B, uh, in the Warhammer version, the really fascinating thing that I like to think about the grail, which I don't know if any will agree with this, but the grail, when it's talked about what it's filled with, it's filled with light, not like water or wine or whatever. It's filled with literal, like liquid light and what is very heavily implied that I very strongly believe and what makes the uh, Ladriel fascinating and actually shows that she has a pact with bretonia that she makes a sacrifice that is not very well seen, is that I genuinely believe she, in a sense, is almost cutting herself and putting a little bit of her godly essence into this chalice that goes to these knights. She's literally giving a little bit of her essence every time she creates a grail knight. Which is far more profound than a lot of people realize, because God's I'd generally not that
1: quite likely.
0: Yeah, because God's generally don't do that. Because that's why introduce a weakness like that. Yeah,
1: Bertoni is special. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, let's see. How is it?
1: Molly? Mal- line- come down with a quick happy festag! All. I hope Saint Nicholas comes to you on the space Hulk of the sea and gives you his gift of eternal life. That would be nice. That's what festag is, right? Yeah, quite right. Yeah, sure. Eternal life. That's the only thing I want for Christmas.
0: It's really interesting. There's not really like much of a Santa Claus Thanks, in Warhammer. Um, no, there's not. Because because Christmas really isn't a thing. It just goes to like Halloween to New Year's. There's not really a thing. Yeah, um,
1: I remember having a conversation with uh, Fat Shark about this as they were trying to figure out what they would do at the various important festivals that we have in the real world. How do I handle Halloween? How do I handle Christmas? And they came to the conclusion that the vast majority of the shit they want to create didn't match anything so they kind of just went well fuck it we'll just do some halloween shit <laughs> and then put some loose stuff on top
0: yeah now yeah now they do a thing where they just do new year's and christmas together so they just do a, an event that stretches over both which is fine um all right uh so we already talked about how uh malabad i kind of gave my theory for why he was able to see through it because i think that he's kind of like a not fully aware wizard that um
1: but um, who knows any why. wizardry is one way of looking at it There, it could just be something that he uniquely has, um, humanity is somewhat renowned for being a bit touched, almost all the novels have got instances of characters who can see the future or are surprisingly tough or just lucky or just whatever, and Malabod could have just had the lucky thing that allowed him to survive what should have been probably his death at yeah. the hands of the grail.
0: And to be fair, it could also have just not actually been the lady um like because he didn't become Good a and he didn't die Like, and there is a false grail that's a really important thing there is a false grail out you know, there
1: somewhere. i think i actually uh, prefer that as a story
0: yeah so it could be that malabob was tricked um yeah. and saw something that somebody else wanted him to see um anyway um how much does like there, there's really interesting multiple ways to in- interpret that story which is fun um how does Becoming a Grown Knight change the individual? Is there, uh, they, they're superhuman. Uh, that's the easiest way I can put it. Uh, because it's it depends on the individual knight, which makes it really fucking hard to describe.
1: Yeah, somewhat disappointingly, the rules for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition when they were laid out didn't cover this. Um, they were too terrified. Ooh, yes. the it. <laughs> they were too terrified of the impact it would make on the rules because it would break the system. Because 2nd Edition... War and Fantasy roleplay, didn't have a very good top end. Once you got past mid-tier, everything just sort of mulched in together, so there was no way that they could make something look top-tier without making it more powerful than a dragon, or more powerful than something else. And I do mean literally significantly more powerful than a dragon. Well, they must and have be...
0: forgot about that when they made Night's Dark Masters.
1: <laughs> um, well, even Night's Masters, many of the vampires in there are relatively weak for all they look powerful. Um, but yeah, the, and that... And, no, not to get into it, Knights Dark Masters is one of the reasons why they didn't do the Grail Knights, was because, well, it didn't quite go the other way around, actually. But it's, nevertheless, it should have been done. You should just the break game. your
0: systems and have fun with it. Anyway, um, yeah, totally. let's see. Uh single be revealed leak for Female Knights of the Old World. Do you think they're going to be changing a lot of Silver Code? There's nothing in the Silver Code that says women can't be knights. Yep, Uh, nothing. That's not like
1: it's literally just a cultural thing. It's not stated in the lady strict. Yeah, and I have absolutely no problems with them going. Yeah, we wrote that bad before. Let's just change it because they wrote it bad before. It was not well written, given the very nature of the characters they were discussing, and the fact that gender really doesn't matter to a fucking god. Yeah,
0: like yeah, I know. It's like unless it's literally a god of men or a god of women, why would they care? yeah Uh, let's see has any non-Bretonian converted to worship of the lady yes it's rare but it does happen uh Mm -hmm. can you discuss how Bretonnia is far more Arthurian than French I mean okay so this is actually a really interesting thing that if you actually bother to study Arthurian legend a lot of the like really big ones that we're all really famous for they're French they're French legends they were written by French authors (laughs) So, yeah like, um, if anything so, Games took it back to its roots. Well,
1: it is about England and it was one of the things that really pissed off a lot of people back in the day because they're like what they've just made France England fuck off. Um <laughs> and that understandably upset a lot of people but now We're, what, 30 years after it's um, changed from one version of Bretonia to the other. And by this point, I think we've uh, built something that is, for all it's based clearly upon Arthurian legends, has become its own thing. The lady and everything she represents is so far removed from its initial creation to actually have become something that's super fascinating and cool in its own right.
0: Uh, Okay, skipping the joke questions, though, thank you for submitting those. I, I do like them. Uh, let's see Uh, is the lady's blessing akin to a chaos warrior's mark no it's far more profound Um, like I a mark of is chaos it. is not nearly as powerful as the blessing of the lady Yeah, which is impressive
1: I think it also says a lot to the difference between actually being a god that's alive in the material plane so to speak in comparison to one that's sitting in the great beyond desperately attempting to shake the roots of the world which the chaos gods are by comparison weak <laughs> I'm oh just, yeah, I'm, just, I'm
0: sure. Like, I'm sure the dark gods would love if they could manifest and literally yeah. like give pieces of themselves for their mortal worshippers to drink, but they're not allowed to do that because uh, they would literally shatter reality if they did that. Um, technically, started as well questions on French. Yeah, whatever. Get out here. Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: um... I, we're um, not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not yeah.
0: allowing a historical. But the argument.
1: legends are obviously going to be coming from. Let's just say the UK in general. A Frenchman, a wrote French French. it. <laughs> That's the yeah, important thing. Yeah, uh,
0: are Are Maldred and Malflyer still canon? And if so, does Maloban know about their history? Uh Mildred and Malflair are still canon as of we know right now. Yeah. I really hope they're still Canon because if they are, then the old world takes place when they are about to do their whole thing. Um, I, would be awesome
1: I'm going them. to I'm going to disappoint a few people when I say this particular point, but there's not really any such thing as canon for Warhammer beyond what the writer at hand decides to be inspired by and draw detail from, even though Games Workshop themselves have a very clear, Canon of books. That canon of books is only whatever their most recent recent releases were for their most recent game. So that means at the moment our canon is Eighth Edition Warhammer End Times included, and that's it. That's the canon. Nothing else. None of the novels, for all they may be newer than some of the books that are out there, they don't count. White dwarfs. They don't count. Nothing counts. None of the. Computer Andy's games definition count. is
0: technically correct, but it's dumb, so okay. ignore it. Just do so your that's
1: own. Thing. <laughs> that's actual <laughs> bullshit that may be technically correct but for those of us who are playing the game we've got loads of lore that we love that we think yeah. is very much canon is part of what we think the warhammer world Remember, is so the most important thing is always tell gw to fuck off anyway so uh, yeah i think that's a good place to go yeah uh, it's our fucking warhammer not theirs right yeah. right as of no? the most oh. recent
0: updates yes they're still canon and yes malaba knew about them and it is, there's a lot about them that probably influenced Malabad's thoughts about how the lady is not what she appears to be.
1: They are not kidnapped. That is a heavy-loaded term. They are taken, arguably. Um, they are often given. Um, but loosely, they come along, good old, uh, what's her face herself, turns up and says, Hey, yeah,
0: the face kid is like, imagine yeah,
1: the the same this kid, and they're all like, Yeah, fair enough, off you go. It's not really a kidnapping, it's just a part of growing up in the Bretonnia, Also, What else are is not? That possibility involved. that if you're magical, you will go and you will learn how to use that magic on behalf of the lady. They are off to serve the lady. If, for example, you uh, believe that all peasants that go to serve in a castle are kidnapped then sure, it's kidnapping, but they're not. They're just taken by the local lord to serve in their castle now because they have been blessed to serve the local lord or local lady or whatever. Um, there's lots of different words we can use, some of which will be more well pregnant with negativity than others, but I think using kidnapped very much says what you think about the situation. I don't think kidnapped is quite correct.
0: Yeah, uh, but uh, boxagors. I, I do love boxagors. I don't think Andy knows about boxagors. I do uh, know box- They're they, they're they're a new type of crocsgore that were introduced in Total War, and they have like old one technology, like boxing gloves. It's I amazing have seen them. I love them. They're, they're hilarious. I,
1: I, I'm particularly liking the spelling of cannon there, suggesting they're blowing shit up.
0: Well, they do. They they use geomancy to See? throw rocks. No,
1: are quite literally cannon, even if they might not be cannon. Yeah. Um. <laughs>
0: uh real okay uh fast forwarding through a lot of stuff how will we have handed the lady in the end times we do not have time for that Uh, that would be good for an end time stream um would have the lady or her followers made return in age of sigmar no bretonia was very explicitly left out they kind of parodied age of sigmar uh or they parody bretonia through the maggot kin of nurgle and the flesh eater courts they both parody what um bretonia used to be
1: Kid stealing, kidnapping, whatever, Hammond. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, what do the ladies' demons look like? Um, it, depending on how you define the term demons, you could argue certain naiads uh, would be like messengers of the lady or her uh, her spirits. Um, yeah. and that would be the various spirits of like.
1: the land. There you go.
0: Yeah. Um, are there any notable examples of the lady sending someone into a demon prince? Uh the closest thing would be Gilles Breton becoming the Green Knight. Yeah. I mean, look at the fucking
1: Green Knight. Um, and yeah, the Green Knight is the demon quite prince literally a demon prince of the lady. <laughs> is that um, she does take people through into her equivalent of the Aether, so her equivalent of the other side, but it's clearly pocket realms um, that exist with outside of time and nature as, we are, as is understood by the mortal realms. Um, but she doesn't really take them into the warp, for one for better description. She doesn't elevate them into demonhood. She's very material in terms of how she elevates folks and yes, they may live for a very long time, but they are ultimately always mortal.
0: Uh let's see. Uh um, maybe green night. <laughs> do we know if the the, the water in the grill unique taste? Uh oh, I literally just read the story about Lewin drinking out of it. I don't believe there's any description of taste. It's more like sensations. Um I'm unaware
1: of what uh Gary's
0: referencing. There. Kaiser. Uh oh, why yeah. is it con why is it controversial to not bring back the black grail knights when deer fun has a damned pa- no they could absolutely bring back the knights of the black grail that wouldn't be super controversial at all like they're they're a thing they're they're kind of a weird thing because they're more from a video game not like any of the written lore they're from the what was that game called the horned rat or whatever yeah. um um so they're, they're from a Better very specific that. video game they're not from any written material um, but, like, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to bring them back. It's, it's whatever. Um, yeah, you
1: tend to find that Warhammer lore has so many nooks and crannies. Um, and whilst you may have this core of what is and what is not canon, as far as Games Workshop is concerned, whenever you're writing for it, you can draw from anything and say, hey, there's this thing over here. Can I use that? And they almost always go, yeah, that's fucking cool. Let's see if we can incorporate that with what we view the Warhammer. Dark Omen.
0: Thank you. Dark, Dark Omen is so, you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, defo, there's no reason for that not to be included.
0: Uh, what is the one thing either of you would like to see in regards to the lay with the old world? Uh, I would make like. it Ladriel. Yeah, I would like them to sever the Lilith. Com- make Lilith completely everything. It. It's
1: literally stupid. Yeah, um, uh, do sever Ladriel, stroke Lilith. Just no. Just make it Ladriel, and you don't need to ever say it's Ladriel. Just know that it's fucking Ladriel. That'll do it.
0: Yeah, fi- fixing that would literally be my only request. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah yeah Knights of the Black Grail would make nice awesome for like if if uh if hopefully we will get a playable like the the Red Duke I mean he's already in the game so hopefully he'll get a playable faction and Knights of the Black Grail would be perfect for him. Mm. Um let's see um that's not related uh can others oh that's a question could other species get the lady's blessing say for instance could there be an ogre grail knight?
1: No because um uh, Ladriel is a thinking, active god. The lady exists. The lady isn't just doing things by rote. She's not simply going, well, if you match this pattern, I'll make you a thing. She's saying, bretonians this is my covenant with you. If ogres wish to be involved in that in any way, they'd have to do something completely different and also be exceedingly pure. She's looking for anti-chaos Time bombs, I suppose, that she can deploy where she needs to. The ogres are so far away and so removed from that to be almost ridiculous. Now, would that mean that, say, let's go a bit closer, someone in the Empire could do it? Arguably, yes, but that would break in some respects her covenant with Britonia. Brittonia are the ones she has to deal with and that doesn't mean that she wouldn't do it because they don't deserve it or they might be useful she wouldn't do it because she wouldn't want to weaken the position that she's built with Britonia. you could do something completely different, let's say Ladriel is Rinald, I'm not saying that Ladriel is Ronald. I'm just making some bullshit up here but let's say Ladriel is Ronald. there we go, who needs a covenant, we've got a completely different way of getting to that same route, so the answer is loosely speaking yeah no yeah, because uh, that would because you have to think if if she could would give the blessing to like literally
0: just anyone, then why hasn't she blessed someone from Kislev or the because she could show up yeah. in faraway places, but she's never yeah. blessed a non-Bretonian and she also has never blessed a non-human. Otherwise,
1: why would as she the, the lady herself? that doesn't as, necessarily as mean that as sorry, a God as has lady. not intervened in another way? And I think that's where I would answer this question from that as the lady, she wouldn't want to because it would undermine what she's built. But as a god, that's a completely different setup
0: uh explain marcus kruber then uh so fat shark did explain themselves which is that he's literally a descendant of a bretonian duke he is bretonian he just happens to live in the empire also it's the end times and the lady's desperate and he literally just killed like millions of scams. she's like all right whatever i need more i need more troops i mean
1: he did literally (laughs) kill 10 billion of them
0: yeah so you know he earned it uh but he's a descendant he has bretonian blood so like yeah technically would match the covenant um, lady of the Lake sounds more like a title than a name. According to Petonian religion, does she lack a name or is her actual name too sacred to say under most circumstances? Is there uh so the general gist is that she's never given them a name and they do not speculate because it is not their yeah, place to do lady. so. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, no, she she yeah, she's just never given it to them, and they don't they don't play around with that <laughs> because the god is like real and like in the world, she has a title, and that's her title.
1: I just take the first couple of syllables of her name anyway, Laddie. I mean, she's yeah, Ladreel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if she actually did she's already say,
1: given her name? She, she, they she just realize it. like,
0: Hi, I'm and They're like, Oh, the lady. They oh, just the lady <laughs> 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 they just misunderstood her this entire fucking time. That's super funny. Oh my god, I would love for that to be the case. That Jill and his buddies just totally misheard her.
1: <laughs> I am Ladriel.
0: She just never lady. She, <laughs> lady,
1: she said lady, she said lady okay i'm the lady there yeah. all
0: right you <laughs> weird little monkeys all right whatever i guess i'm the lady now <laughs> whatever works <laughs> oh my god that's so funny i love that so much um assuming the lady uh, uh does uh does she talk to any of the other gods uh, elven gods of the
1: pantheon uh, not really um, but she's probably yeah, but that's an interesting question that I think would be answered in a separate stream because her na- the nature of her divinity is clearly different to the rest of the elven and just yeah, gods
0: it might be because of the role she has she can't um, yeah, there, that's
1: there that's might she might
0: genuinely not be able
1: to she's not in the realm of the gods. Um, she is quite literally in the physical realm. That brings laws placed upon her, and that's the laws of material reality. She is quite literally separated from the rest of the gods.
0: Yeah, and that could very much be part of her, like, the, the rules with Ashur. And told her is that you cannot reveal yourself to the other gods. Yes,
1: go. lonely. Yeah, people only. Yeah, a good place to
0: be. Uh, does Lady have any legends connecting her to some of the more traditional overall gods, such as uh, the actual old go- or the classical gods, or is she totally foreign to that pantheon? That's a great question.
1: And the answer is that they never really tied the two together because the lady um, in its official books, only two books, um, uh, is separated from all the other gods and given no connections at all. And then when you move over to the role play game, there's not really been a great deal written about that. And again, she's left, broadly speaking, separate. So she doesn't fit within the standard pantheons or indeed any of the relationships so far. Now, would she? Probably the Bretonians would have their own myths, attempting to make their goddess look like she's more important than others, and others would have the same thing, where they put the lady as subordinate to their individual gods. So, are there stories out there? Definitely in the Warhammer world, but they've not hit actual. Um that is one heck of a big comment there, uh, See, Durthi's Durthi's fact, the, idea
0: for the idea that a lady came to claim this boy from his family and his mother took to the forest and ran into Dorothy, begged him to save him from, from his fate, Dorothy told the fate and changed his fucking time. So, funny enough, Dorothy has kind of done something sort of similar in his past and he really regretted it. So, <laughs> But that being said, who knows? Uh, you know, your canon have fun with it. Maybe Dorothy saw something particularly interesting in this one little human.
1: Thank you for that one, Dorothy's My Servant.
0: Uh, let's see. Uh, though he would probably be claiming that child in the name of the forest. Uh, which could actually be very genuinely interesting. Because um, there are human children's servants in Athel Loren, which is interesting, because they are not the children taken by the Fae Enchantress. They seem to be other children, which yeah, opens we, we up got, really interesting questions.
1: Yeah, we have got clear um, stories that make it very evident that what Ladriel is doing is separate to the stuff that's going on in Athel Loren, so that the human servants that are over there are purely... Purely Azrai based, yeah, and they're slaves. It's really fucked up. Yeah, um, I mean, s- slavery for elves is not exactly uncommon. The High Elves have done it at various points in their history. Dark Elves do it oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. The Azrai almost certainly do it too. Slavery and elves slavery come hand and in hand with their arrogance.
0: do to a lesser yeah. species, like
1: yeah, they're lesser. They're lesser <laughs> species. They've always they've always considered themselves superior. No, so for it's like are no less fucked, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just yeah, saying it's not the unexpected.
0: Uh, last couple questions. Uh, more general questions on God as a whole. In Warhammer, we know gods are influenced uh, or can be influenced. Oh, okay. oh god! So I, I would love to answer. There's a whole thing we'd like to. I will have to do at some point about gods. It's a really messy subject. Like gods are, I would say one of, if not the messiest Warhammer subject. Not because the information is necessarily super conflicting. It's more that there's so much of it. And a lot yeah. of it is conflicting because it's from in-universe perspectives that give you correct answers, but not every god is the same kind of god, so to speak. It's super yep. messy. We don't have time.
1: Yep. Agreed. Basically, the answer is, as I often say, it's complicated. We'll get to that in another stream.
0: Uh, let's see. What would happen to a chaos creature like a Praeton that drank from a lek bless- blessed by the lady? If it was legitimately blessed, it would die. Uh, her, it her, would die, yeah. Yeah, her blessings literally burn out corruption. It's very indeed.
1: Um, rather amusingly, on that, the lady herself, directly in one short story, basically says that all the waters of bretonia are are basically her chalice. Um, and so if you enter any water, you're entering her chalice. So there is a nice, lovely little argument you could have there that bretonia itself is probably, of all the realms of the old world, one of the most anti-demonic, which um, I think makes for a really interesting setup for what is the most fairy tale, the most weird, the most fey-enchanted and odd of all the realms. The very fact that it's dangerous for certain creatures to live in as well, I think, makes it more interesting. Because if you look at the Empire, all of their dark corners, all of the place that's benighted, um, are super dangerous. Forests are bad where if you look at the other one forest are fae which is a bit different and it gives it a different tone and it's nice to have different stories to tell for each part of the warhammer world. Yep. Uh let's see you're not becoming a god you're
0: just dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> These guys high- just don't drink enough water. <laughs> <laughs> They're just hydrated for the first time in their lives and they feel superhuman. Uh let's see um the Lady is very much a goddess of nobility. bretonia the Knights, Dukes, and so on. How much
1: relevance does she have for the everyday Breton? I'm, I'm a ton. Massive amount. We've got, yeah. Yep. Um, it's, uh, if you want to see exactly how much, go check the original description for the Lady of the Lake that's presented in 5th edition, because it's really the only place where they clearly separate it out in the lore and say, this is the Lady and who she is. And they say that she is a goddess from the top to the bottom of society. Does the Lady have believers among the humans that are not Bretonian?
0: Uh, yeah uh if people that have maybe witnessed something crazy. Humans are complicated, of course. Yeah, humans are um, complicated creatures. Has there ever been an instance that someone's tried to oh someone tried to steal like water from the grail? Well it's it's literally like godly essence. It's good luck. Life. Yeah, good fucking luck. You're literally trying to steal from <laughs>
1: that good is- luck. I mean if you arrive in the uh in Ladriel's court where she is surrounded by hundreds of wizards all of whom she and others have been trained by, don't think that the human boys could disappear into somewhere weird and never do it. They're all trained by her. They're all there, uncorrupted in this pocket realm. You've arrived in her court. The good old grail is there, the same place that Lou and pops up to in one of his stories. And you've arrived and there's spirits everywhere and there's all sorts of craziness. You're like, that's it. Hey, light lady, I'm here to steal your stuff. Good luck, particularly given she is quite literally the goddess of lies and stealing shit. So, yeah, yeah, you're not in good territory.
0: Go go read the court beneath and you'll realize that even Ronald would
1: probably look at that and be like, "Eh, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) not. I'm not so sure this is where I want to be. The changeling will be going, you know, this is a tough one to infiltrate.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, she's kind of a bitch to deal with. Uh, has the lady ever totally. blessed any random animals? Uh, interestingly, not that I'm aware of. She blesses the steeds and mounts of the Bretonians themselves, but I've never read anything about her blessing like a horse disassociated from its rider, or a hippogriff separate from its rider. She seems to yeah, very quite. deliberately only bless men.
1: Yeah, um, those with minds, totally. Um, and on Biofoot's question there, um, if it's covered, do you think the lady would fit into Ego Sigma? I don't think it will happen, largely because the end times version of the lady is pretty much minced. Yeah, the,
0: the 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 best way I could put it is there's no need uh Me. a because she's returning in fantasy now or the old world uh and b the the, the concept of Bretonia kind of struggles in AOS because it relies on a couple of very specific tenets that the universe breaks very hard, um so I I don't think she would really suitably fit. There is a caricature. Version of her that is a Nurgle character who's actually kind of interesting and vaguely mysterious, um, but the lady herself will probably never appear. Especially because now the old world's back. So why bother? Yeah, why um, bother? All right, uh, last few because uh, we gotta get out of here. Uh, when, a a, uh, d- when a knight becomes a when a knight becomes a Grail knight, does anything special happen to his horse? That's a great question. Of, um,
1: do- and specifically, um, no, but yeah. maybe, but maybe. <laughs> because grail knights are pretty fucking special um, and the blessing of the lady as we've already noted is not necessarily noted for being used on animals um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that something special wouldn't occur because grail knights are proper mental
0: yeah uh, you have to keep in mind that also like the blessing of the lady can often kind of be more like an aura as opposed to just being within the body yeah. to the point where it like is making projectiles disappear around the person or it protects you from magic because they literally have yeah. like magic resistance and shit So it could be affecting the steeds in some way. Basically, Grail Knights
1: become superheroes with superpowers. Yep. Yep. Um, And if that superpower happens to be my superpower is to help my horse, then so be it. But um, it's quite unlike priests where they get powers that can bless other things, that can bring down fireballs, that can make weapons more powerful. Their prayers are very much, they are capable of bringing things to pass. Not the case with um, Grail Knights. They are pretty much the ones that receive these blessings instead. Uh, great Vader. Are there any particular elements of the lady you hope will be expanded upon, explored in the old
0: world? I think we kind of already covered that. Uh, yeah, uh you know, the more the merrier. Uh, hopefully they yep. do a good job with it. Uh, did the lady and Queen ariel fight, and who won? Uh, uh, in Eighth Edition, they have an argument. Uh, I say argument in parentheses because when gods argue, it literally causes like nightmare thunderstorms and shit. It was bad. Um, but uh, it 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 was a, it it was not a fight. It was more of a conversation between gods that was angry, which from a human perspective is scary as fuck. From an elf perspective, is scary as fuck, but they did not actually like trade blows or anything. Yeah. No. Um. Who's your favorite Grill Knight? I have a soft spot for Kaladin of Geralt myself. Uh, I mean, my personal favorite is Lone Lane, curve because I'm yeah. lane. Well,
1: yeah, I was going to say the same thing for the same reason.
0: Yeah. Plus, uh, I got. And hey, I feel great about that because I, like I got Lewin. to introduce Andy to a story he hadn't read about Lewin, and, it's, and I hadn't like, read that one. It was it's it's brilliant, um,
1: and it was and it was a good story as well, which is just even better. Um, uh, you know, I've used Lewin quite a lot in my games, so I've got a bit of a soft spot for him because of that.
0: Also, if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, you should check out more about Lewin because he's quite he's basically Aragorn, and um, that he's literally like uh, I think he's like. Uh, uh is he in his eighties or nineties? He's
1: an old man. Yeah, he's a he super old dude.
0: He doesn't look like it, yep. he doesn't act like it, but he like, he's, Carl
1: Franz like a baby.
0: Yeah, he's awesome. And he's also like genuinely a super fucking good person, which is yeah. kind of awesome. Like he's very, very well he's, he's the grail.
1: He is quite literally uncorruptible, which is brilliant. As incorruptible as you can be, anyway.
0: Yeah, if you ever yeah, if you have, there's a really funny quote from Thorgrim Grudgebearer about when the two of them took down this really nasty bandit king, and Lewin Lanker was like, the uh, the the people that were serving the bandit, like they were starving, they're poor, they had no choice. We should spare them, we should show them mercy. And Th- Thorgrim just looks at him and goes, that sounds like elgy nonsense. Uh, he's like, I have the bigger army here. They they could like, they had no choice. And Thorgrim goes, they could have chose to starve. <laughs> Thorgrim just kills them all. Because fucking dwarfs, um, like, uh oh Thorgrim, he's so dwarfs. What are you gonna do? Uh, let's see. Uh, if grail knights are infused with godly essence, does Morgur look at them like tasty little snacks? You joke, but the answer is actually yes. Yep, Morgur would genuinely yep. very much want to devour grail knights.
1: Yep. Definitely.
0: Um. Let's see. uh, Do male Bretonians that believes with magic just move to the Empire? If their parents decide to secret them away, yes, that has happened a lot. That's happened several times in the lore.
1: That's popped up in the lore multiple times, and it's an odd one because there's no real way to explain how that could have occurred. Um, It's an interesting setup that needs more exploration.
0: Yeah, it, well, it's like they try and wave it as like the child like expresses magic and somehow they're able to get out but it's like the, the fan-changers can literally fucking see the future. And she's and really. Why
1: wouldn't you want your child to go and serve the lady? Or Stupid. go off and become some sort of crazy Heck. witch in another land. It we, needs more, it yeah. needs more to stuff. To be fair,
0: we know in our world there are some people that get right fucking crazy when it comes to their kids.
1: Oh know, no, totally. Like, the but greater but greater that greater in and of itself needs detail. It's yep. just something that needs some more writing on.
0: And then last, but certainly not least, from Potato Salad, what do you call a champion of the lady on a Chaos Dwarf train? A rail knight. Thank you. Uh, I, you know, there's a way, <laughs> I feel like there's a way nastier version of a joke. You could tell and get the same answer.
1: But uh, <laughs> anywho. Yeah, there is. Certainly, a ruder one as well. Um, right, so uh, thank you very much for turning up for our big, long discussion concerning Adriel, everyone's favorite goddess of mist and shadows, or alternatively, the Lady of the Lake, the Pretonian variety of that particular goddess, and one that is most definitely not an elven trick, as we have happily discussed during the course of this stream. I would like to add a couple of quick thank yous. Number one, I'd like to say thanks to everyone who dropped some chats in today for the super chat. Thank you so much. It's always appreciated. I'd also like to just say thank you to everybody that's been watching us over the course of the last few months as I've joined in the Lower Beards with good old lower master Sotek here. For me, it has been an absolutely marvellous half, half year. And in particular, beyond just the fact that you're all turning up every week and being absolutely amazing, He has been amazing. And given that we're at the end of the year, I feel that I need to call that out in particular. And also, why haven't you fucking subscribed yet?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at you. I'd like to get to hundred K next year. Let me come. <laughs> uh, uh, Gary Rose Last thing. Uh, not, not only have we seen it, uh, I was yeah. heavily involved with supporting it.
1: Well, <laughs> uh, I, anyway. I was at the premiere because of good lower master. So take, it was ace. We've got photographs from there. It was awesome.
0: So, okay. Really quick, funny story
1: about that. They literally messaged me like it must've been R-94. two or
0: three weeks before the premiere. And we're like, Hey, can you make it out to Scotland? And I'm like, bitch, it's like two weeks away. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't fly to Scotland on a two-week notice. But then, it worked out for the yeah. best, because Andy got my tickets. Uh, yeah, it was so, great.
1: You know, I had a lot of fun. Good times. Uh, but yeah, cool I'm
0: actually uh, I'm planning to do... I have it on my schedule here, because I just finished recording a lore video, so it's coming up, but I want to do a video on the lore that they present in Chaos Rising, because it actually is a very interesting story that's worth exploring, I think. But uh, yeah, and yes, the response is the best. Um, Alright, so... Thank you all again so much for watching. This was a pleasure. We sh- probably will have one more episode before the end of the year. We, we might
1: have one more. We're in discussion right now as to yeah. we will have one more.
0: So uh if not, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year.
1: If we do, I don't know when it's gonna be. We'll let y'all know it might be after Christmas. It'll be it'll be a special little Christmassy episode if we get one before Christmas. Uh who knows what it'll cover. Beyond that, we'll definitely have something after though.
0: Yeah, but. That is it for us today. Thank you all so much for watching. Please take care, all you and we love you all very much. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.